everybody, and welcome to Geek Actually, episode 19. I am David McVeigh, and I am joined in studio by Dave Longo. How are you, Dave? Very tired, sir. <laughs> I got you out of bed too early. Yeah, today, you didn't did. Um, if, I'll apologize in advance if I'm elsewhere. <laughs> Fair enough. But we have something interesting that they can run without me, so... Well, we I don't, don't know if we're, I don't know if we're running it yeah. or not at this point. We'll figure it yeah. out as we go along. We're kind of flying by the seat of our pants here because we're actually going to have a lot of people in the studio by the end of this show. So let's go around the board. First of all, we're going to say this is Geek Actually Podcast. This is the podcast about everything and nothing filtered mm-hmm. through the geek perspective. And we are joined in studio by Jamie Lawrence. How are you? The apotheosis of cool. How are you? <laughs> 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 so that's three. Now let's go to number four and say we're also joined by first timer, so Geek Actually Virgin here, Luke Lancaster. How are you? I'm good. Not an actual virgin. <laughs> I, no, I said Geek yeah, Actually. I know, Geek I know, but virgin. I just wanted to clarify for everyone listening. <laughs> so we, we, we have Luke here. And Luke, just so because you've never been on the show before, credentials? Uh, I'm a tech journal. I work for CNET. I do game reviews, news, that kind of stuff. So let me get this straight. You play games. I play games. You've written a comic book. I've written a comic book. You read comic books. I read comic books. So you're a nerd. Well, look, if you want to put a label on it, yes. Cool. So as yeah. long as you're a geek, you're welcome here. That's all right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's all that really matters. But yes, a tech journal. We haven't had a tech journal on this show in quite some time. Really? Yeah. So I think the last tech journal we had was uh, Tell the, me. Last, the last generation yeah. of geek, actually. I, I'm, I'm interested in uh, how you lost your virginity, Luke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, it's my first time on the show. I don't want to delve. Oh, we carry an explicit tag. Okay, okay, good. The, 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 geek, the geek virginity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what was your first geek Also experience? known as anal. Sorry. Well, well, <laughs> okay, so that explicit tag, yeah, hard, yeah, hard. Good to know yeah, I can yeah. fucking swear on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking swear all you want, dude. Um, but first time I saw Star Wars. Oh, how old were you? Ooh, seven. Seven. First time you saw Star Wars. How old were you? Uh, went to the cinemas to see Return of the Jedi when I was four. When you were four? Wow. Okay. I don't even know. Seriously. <laughs> you don't remember your first time? No. That's sad. No. For me. I, the, my first memory Look, of Star Wars. There's been so many times since yeah. then for him. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's yeah. a Star Wars slut. He now. is. <laughs> he is the, no, um, the town yeah, speeder bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably similar to your son's case, like where he was a fetus watching it. You know, he so wasn't actually like, fetus. My son yeah. was actually two weeks old. Mm. So he was two weeks old. Uh, Phantom Menace had come out. Uh, my wife is now out of hospital. We just really wanted to see this, so we went to the cinema. And sorry to sound crazy, we went to the cinema. Put him on the boob mm. and just watched the film. Yeah. And he and he slept or fed throughout the entire film. Although it was so goddamn loud, I was afraid that I'd given him like uh, irreparable uh, hearing. My issues. mother, my, my mother had her first contractions with me while she was watching Alien. Hey, <laughs> well, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Turned um, out to be a false alarm. So you've been she a jerk went, your entire yeah. life. Good to know. Turned out it was a false alarm. She actually went into labor at somebody else's wedding a little while later. Fair <laughs> well, so my first time I was 10. My first time at Star Wars. That is. <laughs> I was 10. I was actually, uh, I had been overseas in Europe and so forth. I arrived back in the States and we arrived at Atlantic City and we'd heard about mm-hmm. this Star Wars film. Yeah. It was 1977, mind you. And we were then catching greyhounds across America and all the way across America. So for the week journey or whatever it was to get to Los Angeles, um, I'd read the Star Wars comic adaptation, the the, mm-hmm. the Chaikin one. And uh, we'd read the Time articles. We read So we were so hyped up. I saw Star Wars about a week into its run. First thing that happened, I arrived in uh, Los Angeles. My uncle looks at me and goes, have you seen Star Wars yet? I went, no. <laughs> That afternoon, we were off the bus, bags down, and off to Long Beach Cinema. Mm. So yeah, and that was that was my first experience with Star Wars, and I've never looked back. Yeah, 
You know, that was that was the birth of geekiness, I guess. Um, but yeah, all that's all very interesting. We should also state that we are joined by a fifth person uh, later in the day. We're also going to have Nicholas McVeigh, my son. Mm-hmm. He's going to join us for the film review section at the end. And for those who are wondering what we're reviewing, because every week we say, this week, next week, we're going to do The Martian. That was about three weeks ago. And every week we go, oh, no, it hasn't actually opened yet. <laughs> It did take a while, didn't it? it? Did. They started promoing it yeah. really early. So this week, guess what? We're actually doing the Martian. So we are going to talk about that in the second half of the show. But first, we got a little bit of geek news. We got a little bit of film news. We got what we've been reading and watching. So let's kick into this and actually start the show proper. Um, and let's go into what we've been reading and watching. I can't watch this. I can't watch this. I can't watch this. Can't watch this. My, 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 my TV makes me so bored, makes me say, oh my lord, what is this garbage here? Wanna cover my eyes and blood? And you're our guest here, so I'm gonna start with Luke Lancaster. Okay, uh, what I've been reading is Preacher because I'm awful and haven't read it before and there's a TV show you coming out. I've oh never read Preacher. Goodness. Oh my God. <laughs> what are you thinking of it? Uh, it's really good. It is incredibly Garth Ennis. It is incredibly <laughs> It is the most Garth Ennis. It is the most of all Garth Ennis. <laughs> it, it, no, it really is. How far are you into it? Um, it isn't. About four <laughs> issues boys. in. I've only just started. All right, when you get to the end of that, you're coming back on the show because I want to talk to you about it because I've actually said some controversial things and I think people disagree with me and I would like to know what you think okay okay so we'll come back to that one what else uh, i've been watching star wars rebels a bit late to the party on that one what's you've through season one or uh no no i'm watching through season one about oh, okay, halfway okay, through right. season one um and it's a lot of fun it is i love it I it love is it. great star wars content which it, and it feels we like are, if you will in a darth of right now I see what you did there Dave you've watched Rebels haven't you Uh, the first season yes first season have you seen the one off episode that they made not yet no but I did hear the the Sarah Michelle Gellar news who she's playing Oh, which is very interesting Buffy it's kind of a spoiler (laughs) I don't know it is a bit of a spoiler you know casting news isn't actually spoilering you seem to think it is but Uh, it's not for the most people (laughs) well she's a female inquisitor oh nice okay nice Um, if you for those who you can actually get it uh through. It's on Blu-ray. It came out on Blu-ray. First season came out on Blu-ray, so you can get that. The one-off episode is available on, I think, US iTunes and some of the US services. So if you've got uh, if you've got uh, region blockers and so forth, you can actually see it. There's a one-off that was put out to get us primed for season two. It's a long, uh, about 40-minute episode. And one little spoiler, it's got Darth. So <gasps> it's very cool. Uh, what, so- no, who? More? Vader. Oh, oh. Sidious? <laughs> no, yeah. no, no it's Darth Prime. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Darth Prime, all right? Yeah. No, no, it's really good. It's a really good primer. The thing is, we watched it a while ago now, and all you're sitting there going is, come on, get on with the season. <laughs> Let's get this started now. I want to see what's going on. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Rebels is really good. Mm, very fun. Um, I'm also reading Black City, book by Christian Reed, who oh, I think yes. you are familiar with. Oh, I know Christian well. Yeah, it's kind of his urban fantasy take on, you know, wizard detective sort of thing. Uh, very deep in the kind of Gnostic magic sort of thing. Worth a read. Yeah, no, no, I've heard good things about it. I think Richard actually read it as well. Um, I, so I ran into Christian at Comic-Con, actually. I had a little chat with him. He was he was quite fun. Matt, as always, I love you, Christian. <laughs> uh, and I've also just finished watching Mr. Robot. Now, tell us about this. Has anybody else here watched Mr. Robot? I've been dying to, actually. Me too. I've been hearing nothing but good stuff, so tell mm. us about this. I really enjoyed Mr. Robot. So it's about a... I have to be very careful not to spoil anything here. Uh, it's about a guy who works for a cybersecurity company 
and he's also moonlighting as a hacker trying to bring down bring down this huge multinational corporation. Mm. Yes, no, this is this is about as much as I've heard about yeah, it. This is about as great. much as I can say about it. <laughs> <laughs> With um, Christian Slater. Yeah. <laughs> Chaos is good. Chaos killed dinosaurs. Yeah. No, I actually heard about, <laughs> heard about this because they pulled uh, the final episode or something. Uh, they uh, did. There was one episode that they had to delay a couple of weeks around the time of the shootings in the US. Ooh. Uh, not the, the recent ones. Not the that recent one. Wow. Just the other day. The yeah, yeah. You have to specify not the ones that just good. happened. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not that most recent one. <laughs> the one before the most recent they one. They start numbering them, color coding yeah. them. You know. They have. Yeah. Oh, There's yeah. about one a day this whole year. But it's great, especially. But they don't need gun control rules. Sorry. They don't need gun control. No. Rules. It, no yeah. No. We don't want to be political. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure we do. <laughs> no, since I did, just on a quick side note, I did find it interesting. Uh, Obama's speech about this, where he's basically saying, you know, enough's enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I we, agree with him. If yeah. we don't do anything about it this time, it's our fault next time. Yeah. I loved actually. Look, I, I really loved the fact that the president effectively went to the media and said, "Show us how embarrassing we are." Mm. You know, and he actually asked them to draw up a chart of terrorist deaths versus. Mm. Yeah, go watch Bowling for Columbine. You can already oh, see I've, that. Yeah, I've seen. <laughs> no, I'm talking yeah. to go tell Obama just to go watch Bowling for Columbine. You know, it's 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 right there. It's, of course, <laughs> and he's obviously aware of it. But yeah. to actually make people go and. Do it themselves and figure it out. Correct. You know, I think is is meaningful. So they pulled it. Did they release it finally? Yeah, yeah. It was only delayed a couple of weeks, okay. but it is kind of central to the whole story. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, worth checking out the show because it doesn't have that cinematic, not real hacking to it. If you know anything about mm-hmm. cybersecurity and the way people actually gain access to systems, it's. I don't want to say authentic, but more authentic than you would normally get. It's in not movie. hackers. It is not hacker type. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's, it's not. Let's hack the mainframe. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Linux system. <laughs> um, and I will say the soundtrack is incredible for the show. Oh, it is cool. spot on. I'm going to watch this. We should we should watch this and we should talk about this mm. on the show. Cause it's our, yeah, yeah. I have, I have, I got a friend, Jeff, who's obsessed with it. Two shows at the moment that everybody seems to be on everybody's lips at the moment is that one and Narcos. And mm-hmm. I think we need to have a look at both and of And The these Bachelor. Shows. <laughs> it's the bachelorette now, you philistine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm behind the times. Jamie. I'll give you one okay. rose. Okay. <laughs> uh, just to go sideways, I'm going to start with what I've been listening to. Okay. Um, so after seeing Pixels on uh, on the back of something else. Did so we see Pixels? Oh, that's, a, that's the movie <laughs> I've been trying to forget. Okay. <laughs> on, the back of, on the back of going to some basketball games last year, my son asked me to download uh, We Will Rock You, the song. By Queen. Oh yeah, yeah. So I downloaded the entire Queen's Greatest Hits Volume One and uh, and said, "Here, listen to the whole thing." And so he is absolutely in love with Queen at the age of eight. Good for him. Uh, which you know makes me a proud geek father. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's it's just been fantastic. We've been just wandering around the house, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So uh, so that's been happening. Uh, we sat down together and watched Pacific Rim as well, which was my first time and his first time, obviously. Sit back, um, Dave's about to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I freaking love that film. Yeah. Um, I Dave? Thought, <laughs> I thought it was just amazing. I love that Jamie loves it. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the, use, the, the thing that really stood out to me um, film-wise is the use of colour. He's just so insightful and, and brilliant in the symbolism and the layering that's gone on in that movie. It's just, it's beautiful to watch. Mm. Um, and apart from that, you know, cool, robots fighting monsters. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's really interesting that, that you pointed out the colour of Pacific Rim because if you listen to the audio commentary... Um, Which he, I really want to do. You really should. He goes into explicit detail about how he colour graded the whole film mm-hmm. intentionally and he explains the thematics of just the simple use of gold in that film in yeah. particular. You know, and it's it's 
the depths that he goes to to design is just staggering. He is an amazing director. Mm. Have you seen Pacific Rim? I have seen Pacific what Rim. What did you think? I loved it. Yeah? I thought it was great. It was a movie about giant robots fighting monsters. It didn't need yeah. to be anything else. And I liked yeah. that part. It was funny. I actually was disappointed with Pacific Rim when I saw it at the cinema. I kind of went walked out going... Yeah, it was giant monster. It was giant monsters and giant robots, and yeah, that's kind of what we wanted. But I felt that I think I think in my review, I actually said it felt like it was written by three five year olds who are locked in a room with a box of crayons. I love that about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, that being said, I've seen it several times on Blu-ray, and I actually really, really like it now. Mm. It's it's grown on me a lot. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I was talking to my brother about it because he was quite negative. He was very negative about it. In mm-hmm. fact, he, he called it trash. And, um, <laughs> and I know a bunch of critics who said that when I was at the screening. Yeah, so, yeah. look, and, and I think it is very entry level to that genre. Uh, I think the, the, yeah, the plot lacks a lot of complexity, but that's part of the beauty of the film. You mm. don't want a, a whole involved, complex, detailed plot when people are first discovering robots versus monsters, which is what it well, essentially is for American cinema. Compare it's, it to the Godzilla movie from, was it last year that Godzilla I came really out? I really like that. It was good, but... Let them fight. That's the thing. That was like the only moment it reveled in the fact it was a kaiju movie. Yeah. You need that gratuitousness. You do. I love that film. You my do. son, My son hated that film. <laughs> <laughs> I took him to see it. It was my second viewing. He just walked up going, what was that? <laughs> All right, next up. Fist- oh, I just wanted to say quickly on that thing, it's funny that, um, that you had that reaction too, Dave, because Richard said to me a couple of weeks ago, he goes, oh, I just watched um, Pacific Rim again on Blu-ray the other night. And what the fuck was I smoking? <laughs> I, I watched it. I was like, this movie is incredible. Like, how did I hate this movie? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, uh, that, and that's the kind of thing. It's like there is so much attention to detail in that movie that, that it can pass you by the first time you watch it. But I think this also comes back to what and we- And there are genius strokes that you're, you're not even aware are genius until you watch the behind the scenes. Mm. Like to set that movie- Post the post apocalypse, <laughs> you know. Seriously, like, like it's it's not us banding together as as America to fight the the oncoming enemy. It's us as a world uniting together after we've already lost to just to just reclaim anything. Something. That's right. The yeah, opening yeah. montage is an average trilogy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Intentionally so. The opening montage is done. The movie purposefully mimics the original Star Wars film mm-hmm. uh, down to a T. And uh, because he's trying to capture that same kind of mythology. So in the commentary, he explains that that 10-minute montage is the opening crawl in a Star Wars film. Right. It's to, to catch you up with all the all the business to get straight into it. Yeah. And then you've got three archetypes in but there. I, the, the droids, the two scientists yeah, are mimicking yeah. the mm-hmm. droids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah it's, there's a lot going on in that film. That's But yeah, I think this yeah. comes back. But also to create a world that dense and, th- yeah, anyway. I, to- I told you to step <laughs> you did. back. You did warn me back. <laughs> <How many? laughs> Sorry. No, I don't know. People, people who listen to the network know that Guillermo del Toro no, no, is, your is love my guy. For, your <laughs> love for Pacific Rim is infectious, yeah. but we have to keep moving. Yeah. How, I will many, say, how oh, many remakes of Throne of Blood are they going to be? I will say, though, very quickly, though, about how Richard has said, you know, what crack was I on? And I was saying that I didn't like it at the cinema. We should also go back to episode one of this show when we actually recommitted to what we were talking about with film, which was there was a period there where we had seen so many films and where, you know, the cross-infection of, of all the various blogs and what have you, and you sit there and you become incredibly cynical. Mm. And you get to a point where you stop liking anything. And you just go to and go, what's wrong with mm-hmm. it? What, 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 what can I hate straight off the bat, right? And... It's a situation like this where you go, go into a film with the expectation to like it. Yeah. And then you can fall from there 
but don't go to a film with the expectation to not like it and have to go up. Mm. Going up is going against gravity, and that's a lot harder to do. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, let yourself fall to you know a normal level. So, go with expectations as a five out of five film and work your way down. It's much easier. <laughs> Dave, fist bump mm. me for Doctor Who, bro. Oh, dude, I watched this too. <laughs> now, um, it's it's been setting records alight again. Uh, Moffat has really given some some vibe back to it. And I don't know, he seems to have found himself again because for a while there, boy, Stephen, what were you doing? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, new season of Doctor Who has dropped mm. and uh, Capaldi is just rocking the role. He is so on top of a Doctor Who. They've gone back, they've rewritten a little bit of history and they've also harkened back and called to a bit of history and brought it back in and it's just all looking so beautiful. The Master as a semi-companion. Um, or uh, Missy. Missy is one of the... As a female uh, she doctor, is, essentially. Yeah. Miss, yeah. Missy is one of the greatest inventions of the, last, of the last couple of years. She She's is everything fabulous. that Riversong should have been and wasn't. Apparently Riversong um, is coming back too this season. Yeah, so. I wish she wasn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been just marvellous. And yeah, loving it. Loving Doctor Yeah, Who. me too. Yeah. Now, I'm going to be slight voice of dissent. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I really love Peter Capaldi. Mm -hmm. And last season, I do really feel that they didn't know what to do with him. And so they had this great actor and not really knowing how to make... Capaldi work because mm-hmm. well, I actually was very disappointed with last season. They framed it all around Clara, didn't they? Oh, because, true. Oh, because we she just was could... the carryover from one doctor to the and other. Official news came out last week, which is Jenna Coleman is, is leaving, leaving the at the end of the season. Which so she's really sad. So she, she is officially. We don't know if she's doing the Christmas special, but she is finishing out this season and she's gone. Mm-hmm. So he'll have to have a new companion, hopefully Missy. <laughs> um, but what I felt about the last episode, and this is minor spoilers, but what I felt about the last episode was. Moffat has gotten into a habit now, and it's a habit I, I want him to break. He's gotten into a habit now where it's all just deus ex machina. It's all like yeah. he's gotten into this habit where he writes himself into a corner and then just goes, and with a leap and a bound, we're free. How did he do it? Don't question it. I'm the doctor. Mm-hmm. And he does we'll this. cover it up with a snappy line. <laughs> I'm going to be a slightly larger voice of dissent and say I have not watched an episode since that atrocious Robin Hood episode last season. Oh, really? Really. Oh, okay. That was where I was done. You were done. <laughs> Put a fork in me. I am yeah. done. <laughs> when you're talking about Deus Ex Machina and he uses a golden arrow to somehow get rid of the alien menace, I was I was just out. Yeah, I well, in this last episode, which you haven't watched, obviously, all the way through, it is actually, they even make a joke out of it where he goes, where did I get this cup of tea? Don't question it. I'm the doctor. He actually says this. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and, and as soon as you hear that line, you go, that's how they're going to get out of this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't matter. And it's like, they just go, he's a time lord. Mm-hmm. No, Doctor Who was always more clever than that. They always explained well, how he did Moffat, it. And Moffat himself used to be a lot more clever in that exactly. sense. Exactly. Uh, when he, when he yeah. was not. And look, I think, I think you've got to give some acceptance to the fact that he's a showrunner now and not a writer. Yes, but he wrote both of these first episodes. Yeah, Yeah, of course he did. Of course he did. But he did that while he's also trying to coordinate the running of the entire show. So if he doesn't have time, step back. You know what I mean? Well, that would be the right thing to do. That's right. But instead he does. He relies now on Deus Ex. And this is the man who is responsible for the single greatest episode of of Doctor Who made, which was Blink. Well, for several of them, yeah. I mean, Girl in the Fireplace. Girl in the Fireplace. Doctor Dances and the Empty Child. That was... That was what I loved about his old episodes. You could never guess the solution, but once you knew what it was, it made sense. It was Correct. elegant. That's Correct. right. 
So um, I was so, so I, as much as I enjoyed it because I really enjoy watching uh, Capaldi and I really enjoy the production values of it. And I really like Jenna Coleman. I'm a big fan of Jenna Coleman. God, she's gorgeous. Beginning. She's gorgeous, but she's also smart and sassy, and I really like her. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like the writing is a little lazy at the moment, and I'm just a little. I, I, if they don't pick up the writing, I may fall out of it like Luke did because it's just you sit there and go, I put up with all of last season. And I was never quite sold on last season. I, I really liked Matt Smith's first season. Yeah. It was just a slow decline. Mm. It has been. Like, you'll have to go, honestly, you'd have to go really far to find someone who loves Doctor Who more than I do. But <laughs> but, but right it's there. true. <laughs> the last, the last couple of years... <laughs> the last couple of years have been less satisfactory. Correct. And that's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm a hater or anything like that. I watch it every week. I look forward course, to it every week. Of course, of course. I just, uh, the last episode irritated me a little bit because I sat there going, it's so good and the performances are so good and Missy was so good and everything was so good. It just didn't make logical sense. And yeah. Doctor Who was I always fun for that. You know? I, I was harping on for uh, like a year straight about when are we going to hear about Oh, the planet, I should say. Gallifrey, like, yeah, yeah, well, can we say that? Of course really? we can. Spoiler. Yeah, um, it's two seasons ago they did yeah, this. Yeah, no, I guess. Yeah, um, <laughs> But yeah, when are we going to hear about Gallifrey again? Loose end, loose end, loose end. Yeah. And, then, and then he in the finale last year, he did mention it. And mm. now uh, they really, really satisfactorily addressed Gallifrey yeah. in the last episode. And, and I think that Moffat... Personally, I think Moffat's extraordinarily clever. I think he's a remarkable mind, yeah. personally. Um, everything he does, I think, is is incredibly well thought out and um, and funny, yeah. but fu- but not funny in a laugh out loud way, but funny in a gosh, you're clever, yeah. And um, and so I I now really believe he's a, he's someone that plays a very long game. Mm. I agree. I, I'm and, actually uh, really and, looking forward yeah. to the. And the so sh- I, I like I felt pretty bad about how much I bashed the lack of Gallifrey mm. uh, attention because he really really addressed it in a. a an extraordinary way. In a big way this time. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to the Sherlock Christmas special when yes. somehow we're getting yeah. Victorian Sherlock. Yeah, yeah and, I'm and, dying and apparently to it's all going to make sense. And it's odd yeah. because that Robin Hood episode I don't believe was written by Moffat, um, but I tend to really enjoy the Moffat-ridden ones well, look, more than, he is than still, any of the he others. He is still a showrunner and still has the creative yeah. input, so you can't remove yeah. him from it. That, that's why I appreciate that because that's kind of the, the voice of reason. It's, like, it's, it's a television show that's written under mm-hmm. quite... Quite extreme budget constraints. Absolutely, and um, you know, and it, it's not written in a way that would allow for rewriting on the go. He has to plan out a season before it's well, absolutely. filmed. And they're, and, shoot, they're probably yeah. shooting two so, episodes so simultaneously. It's very so. difficult, especially with Doctor Who, to get the reaction needed, mm. um, and mm. to also deliver on the format. Yeah. That being said, it is still a great show, and it's still worth having a look at. Because because Moff- very Moff- clever. Moff- Moffat is. One thing to keep in mind is that Moffat is stuck in this constant loop, this constant cycle where he can't reveal anything mm. or explain anything because that's the tone of the show. Yeah, but he also you know, it's Doctor Moffat Who. Ca- you know, it's not it's not Doctor That. What we're seeing, know. what we're seeing with with Moffat's run of Doctor Who, though, is he he seems to continually write himself into corners, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's not something he used to do. And so there's there is more and more. Let's just get out of this in whatever way we can, and and that's. If you're playing the long game, you got to work out where your corners are turning. Don't make you promises know? you can't deliver on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you need to know all that in advance. Anyway, we'll move all on right, from yeah, moving Doctor on. Who. So uh, the <laughs> film that we were reviewing but then weren't, uh, I went and saw. 
which was Pan. So again, I, I took Avery to the cinema. We saw Pan. Uh, we saw it in 3D and definitely this is a film for 3D. Uh, there was a lot of really beautiful visual elements. The 3D was very well done. It's it's bright. It's colourful. It's great. It is a good kids movie. Uh, it comes from a position of the, the almost the opening lines are that some stories have been told wrong in the past and uh, this is an attempt to correct it, which is a bit... I'm maleficent, yeah. It's a bit tawdry. <laughs> like, uh, I, I think if you're not going to harken back to your source material, why be part of the, the genre of the franchise? The, pro- the problem is you're coming to a film this long where you've already had Snow White and the Huntsman, you've had Alice in Wonderland, you've had Maleficent, which have all done this exact trope. Of so. course, but they've all done reasonably well yeah, for themselves. And I really enjoyed and That's why it's so, being made. Yeah. So... Um, with that setup, Pan was quite a good, uh, quite a good kids film. It uh, has a lot of sort of the the guy playing Captain Hook. I can't think what his name is, and he's not called Captain Hook yet. He's no, he's James, James Hook. Hook, and it's it's um it's um uh, Michael Fassbender. Uh, uh, Wasn't um, no, no, it's, a, it's was it Joel uh, Edgerton. No, 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 it's uh, from Tron Legacy. Uh, oh, oh, Garrett, Garrett Sutherland. Garrett Headland. Yeah. yeah, he's like a very young Dick Van Dyke. And he actually like sounds like Dick Van Dyke in this movie. It's really quite surprising. Um, but he was an interesting, an interesting heroic foil. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't a heroic character, but he kept falling into heroic roles. They were trying to do a very Han Solo thing with him. Didn't quite pay off. But uh, <laughs> Han, Han, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, oh. couldn't resist. Would he be Han Solo? Purist, <laughs> purist. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll be quiet. I, obsessive, <laughs> obsessive. I'm sorry. Can we just pause for one second there? I'm talking about obsessive. BB-8's eyes and the binary sun. Oh, shut up. Seriously. <laughs> you, you people are crazy. Sorry, for those it's just who, supposed to be a funny little thing. Like. <laughs> it was, no, it was hysterical. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah. For those who follow who don't follow us on Facebook, Dave posted a picture and said, does anybody see this? And it was BB-8's two eyes on the front and the binary, <laughs> the binary sun's, sun's from Tatooine, Tatooine saying, is there a pattern here? And it's like, now this is why Star Wars fans get a bad name. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, but, yeah, but the thing that really bogg- boggled my mind about this was what were you expecting the answer to be? Like, what would the possible result be? Oh, yeah, we made his eyes look like the Tatooine sun for a plot point. <laughs> like, like, it was probably just some designer that just really thought it'd be cute. cute well, not. somebody actually made the observation. It's not like Tatooine's unimportant and the binary sunset's unimportant. No, absolutely. The binary sunset is like the most important moment in the entire uh. saga. You know, like the entire saga. It's like, it wouldn't surprise me if they're like, let's make this new droid the eyes. Uh, it is interesting to note, though, that somebody pointed out as the last comment on that, stri- on that feed, which was, it's exactly the same eye configuration as R2D2. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, like, um, yeah. So. And, and R2D2, was he a companion droid to a famous character? Yeah, but I don't think they yeah. were looking at binary no, sun like, from everything designing yeah. it. Yeah, I, don't know, I, I don't know. It was funny, though. It was, well, uh, it was, it was anyway. that moment. BBA was, was actually designed by Macquarie, if you look into yeah. it. It was that moment. It was that moment of. It was the first sketch for R2D2. Cool. Yeah. It was that moment where we go, this is somebody who is really invested in this. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I'm not making. No, 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 no. I just, think it's wonderful. I'm just smiling because I can't wait for the the JJ Abrams interview on the behind the scenes where it's like you know, yeah, there's a cute nod. We made the eyes. Look, you know. <laughs> anyway, sorry back to that. Pan. It's <laughs> back, back to Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I know the whole retelling <laughs> sorry, fairy tales as the epic fantasy is like the new thing, but I have issues with how Pan is being built 
because it's not about Wendy anymore, <laughs> which the original always was. And Peter Pan as a character wouldn't shoulder responsibility and become a hero because he literally runs away he from He was that. the child who didn't want to grow up. Very That's much. the whole point. Look, yeah. um, actually, one of the things that, that is in Pan is that he's actually quite driven to do something in the movie. Um, and it's, it is about what he wants in a lot of ways. So it's not entirely discontinuous with that. But that said, yes, he does act heroically and nobly and there isn't a lot of... There isn't enough kiddishness to him. Do they do um, the Tinkerbell origin story? Not really. She no. is. She does appear. Tinkerbell but- begins. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'd watch the shit out of that. Are you kidding? Yeah. The Tinkerbell. The dark tink return. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Chloe Moretz. Uh, so, yeah, so long as a short of it, they you're did the Tinkerbell the bitch. They do, <laughs> they do the fairies. They, the fairies' first appearance and Tinkerbell's there, but uh, that's about it. Long and short. It's a decent little kids movie. It's actually worth seeing in the in the 3D uh, and probably at the cinema just for the spectacle of it. In terms of you know plot, I'm sure that there are better things, but it's not bad. After hearing you say that, I'll probably go see it just because I like a good big special effects film. But the problem that I have with that film is from day one is the trailer leaves me absolutely cold. <laughs> Yeah. Just cold. The the tone of it feels. All I like wrong. the song they used in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, <laughs> that being said, the director of the film is it Joe Wright. Joe Wright. Yeah, Joe Wright, is, yeah. A, is an exceptional director. Joe Wright's done great stuff. And in the you past. sit there and you look at it and go, "What happened? <laughs> <laughs> what, what made him choose this after doing things like Atonement?" <laughs> Street Fighter Assassin's Fist. Oh, what? Um, I don't. Know, I've never heard of this. What is this? Okay, so this was a fan made. Uh, series with quite high production values um, based on the story of Ken and Ryu from Street Fighter uh, and and the origin of, of Akuma who, as well, who is like the cheaty character that all the, the sharks play. Um, it's, um, it was, it, uh, the production values were insane. Like the, the makeup and the, uh, the effects. Couldn't that be better people than the Dan's film. It was <laughs> <laughs> the makeup and the effects that have been done here. Uh, interestingly, Nerd Corner last week talking about Van Damme's film. They they named it the worst video game mo- movie adaptation of all time. Oh. Super Mario Brothers would give it a run for its they money. They are absolutely wrong because I love that Street Fighter they, movie. They, uh, I can uh, and Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider is an abomination. Doom <laughs> exists. Wait 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 wait. Do, I liked do, that first person sequence wait, in Doom. Ner- nerd corner. Nerd corner. I'm going to say to you that out of all the video game adaptations out there, I would lay uh, at much lower. I would lo- lay. Um, Super Mario Brothers, Double Dragon, if you remember they that They liked one. Double Dragon. Double Dragon was awful. <laughs> um, there was another... I'm, I'm waiting for the Tetris movie, quite frankly. <laughs> I think that's going to come. Um, I think they're, out of all of them, I think they're wrong because I think that Tomb Raider is actually probably one of the better ones. Oh, not God, to say no, it's good. It's not to say it's good. I'm saying it's better. No, they, they, lo- they said Tomb Raider was okay. Tomb Raider is not okay. No, Tomb Raider was Tomb Raider, okay. Tomb Raider touched me in bad places and I'll show you on a doll. <laughs> Tomb, Raider, Tomb Raider Cradle of Life is a bad oh. That's where she punches the shark. Yes. <laughs> we don't jump the shark, we, we punch, punch the, the shark. shark. And the other one that uh, the other one that I think is actually moderately okay, but probably because I don't know, there's some sort of strange, strange effect it has on me, which is the Resident Evil film. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'll which, come out and say it. I didn't mind Need for Speed. I didn't see Need for Speed. It was just a solid action. I was already movie. invested was, in Fast and Furious. It was very so. fast and furious. Right. But <laughs> I enjoyed that a lot actually. Need for Speed? It was yeah. amazing. Is it up there with Torque? No, talk is a masterpiece. Talk is a brilliant. <laughs> no, serious. Talk is in in all I seriousness. No, I'm being sincere. The yeah. best part of Need for Speed is Michael Keaton is like yes. this, <laughs> um, 
like radio <laughs> broadcast character who you were given no evidence anyone ever listens to, but he like narrates the plot and goes yep. off on tangents where he just asks himself rhetorical questions exactly and has that, access yeah. to information that he wouldn't know yeah. unless he was watching the film. Yeah. Oh, 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 I put it it's out of my mind. It's the best mind. bit of the it's movie. So it's so phenomenal. I put yeah. it out of my mind because I hated it so much. Yeah. DOA. Oh, God. <laughs> I walked out of that. Yeah. So, Nerd uh, Corner, let's get our priorities straight. But it had a volleyball sequence. <laughs> and digitally removed nipples anytime there was any sort of close-up. Well, they've got to keep that PG rating. <laughs> Obviously. Where's anyway. The, where's the fun? Uh, yeah, so Assassin's Fist, really, really good production values. It had a bit of a slow plot. Does it rate up there with that fan-made X, uh, Mortal Kombat series? That was really good. I enjoyed no, that, that. that fan-made Mortal Kombat series is amazing. That was really good. Uh, I liked that a lot. Yeah, but but look, Assassin's Fist, it, it was solid. It was a obviously a good tribute. Like The, the people involved really did care about those characters. Um, but it left me a little bit cold at times because it just felt like it was dragging. There was a bit too much build-up and not enough delivery. Right. Um, but yeah, look. Definitely worth a look for fans of Street Fighter, and it the look is perfect. Cool. All right. Uh, Just um, on that note, did you guys ever watch There Will Be Brawl? No. It was a it's series. I think it's still on YouTube, or it might be on their website. But it's a fan series about the Super Smash Brothers universe. If it was film noir. Oh, my oh really? God, <laughs> that sounds amazing. I am going right now. <laughs> I, yeah, see you guys. It's, it's absolutely worth watching. We'll be logging into that after the show. Okay. okay. <laughs> and last thing that I watched is a little film called Prometheus. And this was my first time. And uh, partially I watched it because I knew The Martian was coming up and I wanted to get a bit of a Ridley Scott vibe going. Can I pause you on that? Yeah. And let's come. Let's revisit that comment when we get to the review. We'll put a pin in it. Put a pin in that. And but we're it may come deflate. Back. No, no, it won't <laughs> deflate. We're going to come back to that. I is think this how The Martian's a prequel? <laughs> it's a prequel to the prequel. Yeah. Uh, I, think and that, I, don't, I don't know if we can talk spoilers yet, but when, when the chestburster at the end of Okay, the we, should have, we should reiterate yeah. right now because we, yeah. we've been dancing around spoilers a lot. Remember, we have rules about spoilers on this show. As long as the film is out on DVD Blu-ray, it is no, open, I was talking open about slather. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it was a joke? <laughs> no, what I'm saying is because we, we dance around. So, television shows... Uh, no spoilers up to two weeks after the show has been aired because we've got to give people a chance to watch it. Uh, then you can do minor spoilers. And then once it's available in wide release on DVD, Blu-ray, it's all bets off. And with a film, it is two weeks after the film has come out. We can start talking little bits of spoilers. And then once it's out on Blu-ray, it is all bets off. It's all basically. gravy. All right. So let's just reiterate that because we haven't mentioned it in a while. So that just puts, uh, puts everybody's ground rules in place. Prometheus... There's a lot to say about Ridley Scott, and Prometheus is going to play a very big part in that. There so is, so we'll hold off. Let's hold on to Prometheus. All right. Okay. Dave. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> got nothing? Nothing. You got nothing. You haven't watched no. anything? I went to see The Visit a couple weeks ago. Oh, please tell me about <laughs> this. So this is, M. Night Sha- this is M. Night Shyamalan's new film. I did. I saw the trailer for it, and then I just went and read what happened, because I have no desire <laughs> to go and see it. <laughs> so apparently, though, I could do Mark Mark Commode's review of it. Yeah, where he goes, the, these two kids go and see their grandparents that they've never met, <laughs> that they've never seen. These two kids again, they go and meet their grandparents that they've never met, that they've never seen. So yeah, that that's a that's a hint to the to what the movie's about. <laughs> really, though, um, uh, yeah, I really liked it. Seriously. So this is yeah. M Night Shyamalan actually in better form. Yeah, this is like um, it's not it's no 
But what about the bees? Aren't you concerned oh, about the bees? No, no, no way. <laughs> there are so yeah, many questions I want to ask about like, how this actually happened, but I think they're all dangerous questions. It's just, <laughs> well, no, what is it? It's um, you're a plant. I, I just want to talk to you. Yeah, I, was like, I don't want to ask any questions. I just want to talk to you. We're not going to hurt the you. Trees. Okay? Yeah. What? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> um, Oh, the happening. Um, it was on TV the other day, and I was actually in here working, and Nicholas and the my, my lovely wife yeah. were actually in there watching it. And they came in halfway through, and they were just watching a little bit, and I could hear him basically do that. Yeah. And they both just burst out laughing. <laughs> 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 and I went, yes. On, a, on another tangent, can we give a shout out to your lovely wife who's doing Frocktober? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. We should mention this. Uh, she, you can, She's doing Frocktober, okay? We just want to support her. <laughs> <laughs> so what Frocktober is, I'd never heard of it, but apparently it's for ovarian cancer. And if you sign up for it, you wear a different frock for 31 days. You just wear nothing but frocks. And um, she has to post a picture on Facebook and she has a Frocktober page where you can donate to her actually doing this. And I think this is all really fun. It's and she's really awesome. She, but she's actually just realized that she probably doesn't have 31 frocks. <laughs> yeah. So it's trips to eBay and all yeah, sorts of stuff right. trying to figure this out at the moment. But if you want to follow, if you, if you follow me, you can actually see that I'm actually liking mm-hmm. and sharing her posts. Follow her back and uh, go and, and donate to a very good cause. Yeah. And I tell you what, there is a hint in the works that, you know, Movember, there is a chance. And uh, feedback at geekactually.com if you actually think you will support this, because I'm not going to do this unless I can get a lot of supporters. But people at my work want me to do Movember. They want me to shave <laughs> clean and then grow the mustache over mm. the month of November. So if this is going to be worth my while, I'll do this. Otherwise, I can't be bothered. Well, you know, what? I, I thought it was well worth supporting your wife just to pay back the fact that she puts up with us coming and recording in her house. <laughs> well, yes. there is so that, yes. if you're going to do November, I guess we owe you the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so just feedback at geekaction.com, just an expression of interest whether or not you would support me doing Movember. Um, but in the meantime... For October, it's for ovarian cancer. It's a good cause. Go, for, go support her. And this is all new for her because she doesn't use Facebook. So I've, I've talked about my lovely wife, Katie, for mm. seven years on this show. There are actually pictures of her yes. <laughs> <laughs> She has managed to stay anonymous for so long. <laughs> and now, uh, the Reverend Dr. No. David McVeigh, I would ask you what you have been reading and watching. I'm still waiting for Dave. You got nothing? Oh, no. <laughs> Just a minute. Tell us what the... <laughs> Tell us about the I visit. I forgot about the visit entirely. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. All we got was the trailer. Go Wait on. a minute. That's actually, that's actually yeah. a, you just summed up almost every one of M. Night No, this is actually an excellent film, though. Is Barring it? the last scene. The final scene, really, it's is unnecessary. You just summed no, no, up every no, that, M. Night film. There is a twist, and the twist is actually pretty clever and well done. And it's halfway through the film. So it's oh, not, it's halfway through. Okay. Yeah, it's not like it's let's wait till the real end and surprise, surprise. But the real twist about it is, is how he... The real it. twist is it's good. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. You don't Shime. expect that to happen. Shyamalan. Keep Friendly neighborhood. Shyamalan. There's something interesting about the visit to me, which is that it's done as a found footage documentary. Yep. And um, we've all seen so many found footage movies, so we know them in and out. So M. Night Shyamalan's twist on that is that he gets a really preco- precocious, pretentious, like 12 year old girl to be making a documentary about her grandparents and she's like a cinephile and she's really wanky and she's all about mise en scene and you know and uh and she's using multiple camera setups mise en scene 
Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. That's the original. To the, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. The precocious 12 year old is making a documentary about her grandparents who she's never seen or met before. <laughs> yes, Luke. That's true. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. I just wanted to yeah, clarify. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, what about the yeah, bees? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it, it's done in a way that's like um that that's you know she actually edits what you're watching on Final Cut on a laptop. But it's it's to well, me filming. So herself? she films herself editing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because well. well She's uh, she's got a little brother with her who is an amateur rapper. It's like, but <laughs> yeah. See, you're laughing, but then when you realize that there was an amateur rapper that he cast in his previous film, these are the Shyamalanest so, characters yeah, I've ever yeah, heard of. Yeah. So in, uh, in my mind, he's making fun of Jaden Smith Has the entire film. Has he cast himself as a writer who's going to save the world? No. Okay. Anyway, yeah. don't worry. Let's move on. We're, we're short for time. Yeah. Sorry, Shyamalan. He has so much bad will against him right now that even if he does five good films in a row, it's going to take him a while to crawl back. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I, I'm very look. I saw the trailer for it though, and I w- must say I was actually interested when mm. I saw the trailer. And then when it said a film by M Night Shyamalan, I kind of went, "Oh, can he ever climb out of the Avatar-shaped hole he has left in his career?" <laughs> no, it's Avatar-shaped with a little bit of happening on this side, right. and the devil on this side, and well, there was one more. Oh, wait. After Earth. No, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Last Airbender cartoon. Oh, me too. Um, I've tried three different times to watch Last Airbender, and the furthest I have ever been into it is 23 minutes. <laughs> wow. I, I got through the whole thing. I got through the whole thing. I've actually seen it a couple of times, <laughs> funnily enough. Some of the special effects work is really nice, and my God, the dialogue is painful. It yeah. is just awful. But, 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 but anyway, I'll just quickly wrap it up, because like I, I, I do take M. Night Shyamalan seriously, because he, he did make a couple of great films. He did. And... Um, and the kind of thing is that I, I still will continue to watch what he makes because he's interesting. Mm. He's at least interesting. And um, and the the visit, in all seriousness, I really appreciate it on a couple of levels. The the first one is that the way he deconstructs the found footage genre and he, he does it in a clever way that really makes a comment about the, the crappiness of found footage and mm. amateur independent horror cinema. And, um, and so he's highlighting the ineptitude of a lot of filmmakers out there. And he's showing you that the simple change to having production level cameras and production level editing, you can start to play around with the genre in ways that haven't been used before. So gone is the shaky cam and now actual setups. Yeah. You know, um, there's interviews done with multiple cameras. There's um, sequences with setup cameras. Like the, there's beautiful shots because she's got a visual eye. And so you, you end up in this, quite professional looking found footage film well, and it's something that say, you don't see often I will you really say, don't when I saw the you know? trailer for it it never once feels like it's going to be a found yeah. footage film it yeah. actually just looks like a and film and it's a beautiful so when documentary you, when, when you told you, me yeah. it was found footage I was actually quite surprised because yeah. it doesn't look like and, that um, at all and, and the second thing is something that I don't talk about a lot is that I, I actually um, live with my grandmother who is suffering from dementia right and um, and I have to care after her quite a lot significantly and um, and this movie deals with with old age and specifically dementia and and it used the horrifying scary elements of dementia as an element right. to the to the horror and so it did it did strike me as something that was quite human and real mm. and uh and so like he he did something here in this movie that i appreciated a lot you know and so to me it was it's easy to like dismiss m night Shyamalan for the shit that he's done in the past. And yeah, last Airbender, Airbender sucked the big one. But like as far as I'm concerned, like that it, it's 
it's the animation show still still there to watch. Absolutely. You know, I um, think if it was just and, and the behind the scenes for Last Airbender are staggering. It's like they forced him to cast like the one of the producer's cousins. Yeah. Hmm. You know, in one of the roles and all, all these things that happened there. If it up, had just been Last Airbender, though, it would have been acceptable. The pro- problem with that of M. Like Shyamalan is. It is literally his last four films or something like that that have all been crap. You yeah. know what I mean? It's the happening. It's After Earth, which is just laughable. Yeah, it, oh, you know, it's terrible. He, he's got a bug. But I'm with you. If a filmmaker turns around and makes something good, mm. you don't judge the good yeah. from the bad. You look at it and go, mm. okay, this is a good yeah. film. And, and that's and, one of the things we're going to yeah. touch on with Ridley Scott yeah. today. And I, I just also want to say that The Happening is a masterpiece and people who hate that movie are crazy. Oh, we're going <laughs> to have words after <laughs> no, this no, no, show. No, 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 <laughs> no. A masterpiece of bad. Oh right, okay, yeah. okay, okay. But if you watch, if you watch that, if you watch, if you watch that movie, it is hilarious. No, no, it is. It you is one of the funniest things. That, just because it is so, the lion scene yeah. alone, you've yeah. got. Me, but I, right? I don't know. Like, I, it's just, it's just, to, it's to me like this is a movie that M Night Shyamalan shot for five million dollars. Yeah, you know, and has made it for. It's his most successful movie financially, and um, and the kind of thing is like that. This is a, it's a big deal. Mm. You know, the, um, the and, trailers for it. And how often also do you see a filmmaker like really branch out into something completely different? You know, he's doing a found footage for me. It's not. It's not every day that an A-list well, director yeah. just goes and does it's, a found. It's footage. one of my rules like, about film. If you make a movie, you want it to be one out of ten or ten out of ten. You don't want to be in the middle correct. of the bell curve. Mediocrity right. is death. Yeah. So that's. Tra- that, I don't. I hate that kind of. The trailers rule, though, for personally. it. The trailers for it. I saw it around about the same time as I saw the ones for the new Paranormal Activity and. Mm. The Paranormal Activity film, my God. They've milked this as far as they can milk it, dude. Such face palm. <laughs> yeah. So, so... This time, but you, this time you'll be out. able to see the acting. It's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we, I think we milk this as far as we can milk it. Let's move on. This week, I had the absolute joy of watching the new Muppet Show. So, it's, the series is just simply called The Muppets, and it is a reality-based television show about the behind the scenes of a late night talk show hosted by Miss Piggy and the production <laughs> of it. And it's all it's interviews to camera, and it's all just handheld cameras, and it's all. About about how they try and maintain and run the show with her ego and everything. It is brilliant. It is exactly like the old Muppet show from the 70s in the sense of Statler and Waldorf are in the audience, but surrounded by humans. You've actually got big name guests that come in because they're the guests on the show. If the closest analogy I can draw is it's like the old Larry Sanders show. Sure. So it's the behind the scenes and what's actually happening on stage. It is incredibly well made, no laugh track. And it's very funny. Uh, so it is well worth having a look at. It's two episodes in. I've this always is, loved The Muppets, so I'm really excited yeah, about it. This is one to catch up with. The other one I watched uh, was The Return of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was this week as well, which it has come back in a big bad way. It's gone head head deep straight into Inhumans territory, and it's all superpowers and, and espionage and intrigue, and there's an alien running around who's trying to kill Inhumans, and it's just... A, a blast of a good time. So tell me, a- tell me when we get some uh, sent, some animate hair. and uh, and a voice that can level mountains and I'm being. Uh well, you've actually got Daisy. so 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 one of the stars of Agents of Shield was this character called Sky, mm-hmm. uh, who was kind of blah and nothing. Uh, special in the first season and as it's gone on she has now become an inhuman and we found out that her real name is Daisy and she has the power to create earthquakes Quake this is Quake Hmm. and basically they've now introduced Quake into the series and she is uh, doing some big time throwing people around with with sonic powers and so forth so it's a lot of fun the inhumans are are being named right left and center the whole concept and conceit of this season is that the Terrigen uh, 
uh, mists? In, well, in this case, it's not really a mist. It kind of creates a mist, but it's a pterogen solution that they found has basically been leaked out in the last season into fish oil mm-hmm. and into the ocean. And so basically, inhumans are now popping up everywhere because it is. So there's the potential that we'll see Miss Marvel's origin happen? Very possible. That'd be really yeah, cool. So basically, this is all lining up for the Inhumans movie, which is two years away. I would, I would be so sold. Like, Marvel would have me so hard if they, without announcing it, without telling anyone, just slipped, here's Miss Marvel's origin here's story, Kamala, and, and here's Kamala in. Khan. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you're in. That would be so good. Um, so this is this is doing some really good stuff. This is a, a It's become a really strong show. It started as weak, and it's now become a really... In fact, I'll go so far as to say that I'm actually enjoying Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. more than I'm enjoying Arrow at the moment. So And that kind of all happened last season. The shift around was happening. So what I thought was really cute, and they didn't play up on it, and it would have been a perfect tie-in, was at one point, Col- uh, Coulson is looking at a, a map on the wall that actually is showing the spread of the Terrigen and at the bottom it says complete coverage by a certain number of months and my thought my thought was if that was how many months until the Inhuman movie (laughs) it would have been perfect but it actually they've announced a rough release date haven't they yeah but it falls short by a year Uh. so it was only 18 months so you sit there and go ah you fell short that would have been brilliant (laughs) If if that that but there's a, there's a season break in there as well. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, so uh, yeah, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has come back strong. And we should also point out that this week is also the return of Arrow and The Flash. And The Flash is looking real good oh, for this season. The mm-hmm. trailer dropped with Adam Smasher in it. I'm yeah. so now, excited. We should also point out that The Flash and Arrow are, co- are being uh, fast-tracked straight onto Fox 8 over here. So if you're in Australia... You have no excuses for not watching these two shows. Yeah, so. oh, no, the those are the not giving Fox yeah, yeah, so they're they're both coming out, and I believe I've heard rumor that uh, Supergirl. Well, not rumor. Supergirl, we know Supergirl is coming out on us also on Foxtel, so we are going to get a release of that. There is rumor that Gotham is going to move from network to uh, Fox Eight as well. Frickin' so, Foxtel. So Foxtel's taking them all. So, but at least the benefit of Foxtel is that we know we'll get the whole seasons. Mm. <laughs> Usually in the same time slot and as well. usually in the time slot and usually in order. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> on so, the bright side, at the current rate of pickup, I won't have to wait long on Netflix. <laughs> no, no, you won't have to wait long on Netflix and they also come out on Blu-ray very quickly. And because I've just mentioned all of those things, I will also throw down that if you've been following the site, you know that I've done two parts to promos for season one of Flash Blu-ray and season three of Arrow, three of Arrow Blu-ray. The Gotham one is going up uh, today at some stage today and we have a giveaway for that. Keep your eyes on the site and you'll actually know more about that. But basically, we're giving away a pack of DVDs of those shows and a pack of Blu-rays of those shows. So it'll all be up on the site uh, by the time you hear this podcast. So it's all good stuff. The Uh, last thing that we've all been doing is getting ready for Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Wait, before you do that, one more thing. I finally had the chance. I think Dave saw it. I finally had the chance to watch San Andreas. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did see this. that the disaster movie with The Rock? The Rock doing disaster movie, dude. This is the most dumb film I've seen in a long time, and I I enjoyed every minute of it, because you know The Rock was not going to let his daughter die. I loved it. It was just a a journey through every mode of transportation. And every kind of... like, let's get here. The Rock drove every kind of vehicle possible. Every kind of vehicle and every kind of disaster. We start with earthquakes, we've got fire, we've got a tsunami, we've got... How is this dumber than the movie where he flexed is his broken arm to break his cast off? Don't you don't you disparage <laughs> oh. Fast and the Furious? Oh no, no, I love that series. I love, that movie. I love, I love it. time for dad to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock can do no bad. He really can't, can he? Paul Giamatti as well. Um, Paul Giamatti. Oh, did he just need a paycheck? Yeah. <laughs> but good fun. Anyway, you were saying. Oh, 
I was saying, we've been getting ready for Star Wars The Force Awakens in a big bad way by gaming Star Wars. Mm. And, uh, you know, Luke, you've been game mastering. I'll let you take over. Uh, yeah, we are playing the Star Wars RPG, mm-hmm. most, mostly, uh, mostly around well, the... Well, you say play is a loose term. Play, we, we have done rolled, character generation. <laughs> we have done like most of character generation. <laughs> like like 90% guys, I swear. <laughs> Still being written out. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we're basing it on Fantasy Flight's new RPG system, which is three connected books. There's Rebel Alliance, uh, like Scum and Villainy, and the new one that's just come out, Force and Destiny, which focuses on, funnily enough... Force users. That's mine. Yeah. <laughs> mm, I'm, I'm a spy from uh, Darth Maul's race. It's pretty cool. And you're yeah, a Wookiee. Oh, I'm a Wookiee smuggler. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, t- a Twi'lek force, uh, force uh, bounty hunter thingy. Uh, you better believe I'm going to make you speak in Wookiee. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should we make die rolls to see if we understand? <laughs> I'm just going to assume that I can convince you of whatever I think he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> I insist that's how you all play it. Oh yeah. That would uh, be awesome. Yeah. Very cool system. Doesn't use typical like rolling dice. It's all symbol based. Very flavorful. Very narrative driven. You guys should check it out. Oh, I believe we are. Yeah. No, no, the, no. The, <laughs> you, the listeners. All the listeners. Meaning right? the teenagers. So he was looking yeah. at me. Yeah. I believe you should yeah. check it out. I said, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the Force has power um, in But <laughs> the other game we're all super obsessed with right now is Star Wars X-Wing. X-Wing, X-Wing, X-Wing. When are we playing again, guys? <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys doing now? <laughs> Let's just set it up in the middle and play while we're playing, while we're doing the show. <laughs> so X-Wing is a, a miniatures game where you are dogfighting uh, the smaller ships from Star Wars. I put up a photo of our game on my Facebook page. So if you're interested, you can also see a photo of us playing it on there. Yeah, awesome. We'll try and throw it up on, on the Geek Actually page too. Yep. But yeah, it's such a great game. You uh, you just get you know a little force of a couple of ships. You send them out against each other. You're in a three by three foot space and it's just all on. It is so much fun. And we discovered in the last game that the Millennium Falcon is a tank. It is. It is just a tank. Also <laughs> super easy to pick up. Very yeah. easy to learn game. Yes, very very easy. We we yeah, I, I was it. able to understand it, so that was uh, so <laughs> yeah. that, that's proof. Yeah, Luke taught me in the space of a half an hour, so yep. we were we were up and playing straight away. It was really, you say really talk, fun. what you mean is addicted. <laughs> I said as much on my Facebook page. I said my latest addiction. <laughs> I just love the little ships. It's so toys. <laughs> All right. All right. We should get on to some news, we should. shouldn't we? Um, and I do have this one. And the truth. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> we're going to make the news very quick because we're already an hour into this beast. All right, so uh, we do have some robot apocalypse news. And Dave, I still haven't recreated this. I don't know what to play. What am I going to play? I'll play. You're never going to do that. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> this is uh, was sent to me via Twitter, um, and I don't have my phone in front of me, so I'm sorry. I not can't name out the person who sent it to me, but you know who you are and much appreciated. And when I first read it, I thought it's a little bit of a non-story. Now, we should explain what this section is. We don't believe here at the Geek Action Network that the zombie apocalypse is going to happen. I don't know what your personal beliefs are on this, but that's a fairy tale. That's a fairy story. Probably not going to happen. No. But I do believe that the robot apocalypse is going to eventually happen. We're going to kill like ourselves. Skynet style? Yeah, Skynet yeah. style. We're going to we're, we're keep building machines until the point where they go, hey, we don't need you anymore. And you know, at that point, we will all you know, praise our robot overlords and, and move on. But 
But uh, so we're always looking for the evidence, and we're, we find articles right, left, and center. We've had everything from skin that can feel to computers with emotions mm-hmm. and weird, creepy robot nurses. Oh my god! <laughs> that hey, listen. Speaking of Pepper, yeah, not allowed to have sex with it. The owners have said, "Oh really? Really? Yeah. No, that, not, that's an actual thing. Like, I'm not just making this up. I think up. there's people who have <laughs> yeah. already done that somehow. That's, that's not, why it's a rule yeah. now. Yeah, that's like that's like how marijuana is illegal in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's um, not forget about Philip K. Dick bot and it's people zoo. The nightmare droid. Yeah, you know, the, uh, we, we were talking about this at great length at work. I would be happy to live in a people zoo. <laughs> You'd be fed. You wouldn't have to worry about exactly. Work. Yeah, what the, the, hell? the real horrifying thought is that maybe you already do. Yeah, ah. I, would, maybe, maybe I would love it if it was our overlord. I would love it if I got to sort of let the robots know what my needs were, so I could have like. Grant Morrison in the next cage writing yeah. things for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, our, our, our next... I was co- thinking that Terminators should be designed to look like people you'd want to meet. <laughs> you don't want to meet Schwarzenegger? Schwarzenegger? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's really interesting because Schwarzenegger... Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> now, the only reason, the only reason this... Yeah, that logic would work. I'd be like, holy crap, it's Arnie. <laughs> but the question is, do you only want to meet him because he looks like the Terminator? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, in the Terminator universe... No, I want to meet him because I would've... he looks like Conan. Yeah, exactly. I would have said, that's Conan. <laughs> All right, so in this article on... Uh, <laughs> uh, on this article that was sent to me, basically it talks about the fact that the, we're going to stop cut we're going to start cutting menial jobs in replace them with robots which you know you, on the surface mm-hmm. that sounds fairly reasonable but they're talking about companies like Roger, the, Roger. the ANZ bank has already said that they're thinking about cutting 200 jobs to allow robots to do things like count the money so we're going to hand over our finances to the robots are going to start going Hey, you know, if we just take a bit of this, <laughs> we'll start investing this into, in I, the world economy. It kind of seems like humans are going to be more likely to take a little off the top than robots. Well, unless it depends on how no, many emotions how, yeah. are programmed. That to those strikes robots. me as a robot apocalypse that no one's really thought of before. That they would just skim our bank accounts until no they can buy No one thinks about the blue collar crime robot. Yeah, exactly. the white collar crime robot. They, they all think they're going to pick up a gun and shoot us. What if they just very quietly took over the world? <laughs> if they all look like Philip K. Dick, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine it's like some trade federation robot army? They all look like Phil K. Dick. <laughs> the link for this age article is in is in the show notes, and you can have a look at it. It goes on about robots. I mean, it's, it's pretty much it's we kind of know about this it. about robots, you know, building cars, mm-hmm. what have you. I think it's more that the menial menial white collar jobs are starting to come to robots, and that's kind of a little bit more like. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> soon they won't need me at my job. They'll just be a robot to do it. So, you know, whatever. And soon there'll be four robot hosts doing the show, I think. So <laughs> they'll be going, hey, tell me about what you watched. Yeah. Bleep, bleep. Don't praise the machine. How do you entertain the humans in your people zoo? <laughs> <laughs> Send us feedback at people zoo. At <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Can you imagine Q- Q&A robot style? I love this. Idea. Can we just change the name of the show to People Zoo. <laughs> I think that's the name of our next podcast. Unless somebody's already taken it. All right, moving right the along. Just, just quickly before we move right along, um, we forgot to mention before, we all went and saw Kevin Smith. He was in town. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> he was great. He was really cool. And I, I, I'll just stress the, the the moment, there was a moment in that uh, entire show where I just basically sat back in my chair and thought, thank you, where he said, just express your voice. Don't worry about being right. Don't worry about being wrong. Don't just, just 
sometimes you just got to have that artistic expression and we let live it know you're here and we live in an mm. era where we can just let you people know that you exist and that you have a voice and the other thing i thought was which is something i have said for seven years which is he said the age of podcasting is here it is about audio so many people mm. go oh i want to make a video show have you thought about doing video are you going to put it on youtube more people listen to radio than watch tv so it is very important to note that audio is still here and we are still the kings of the wave because it is easy to listen to something while you do other stuff. Mm-hmm. And where we're watching video, you actually have to sit and invest time in that. Whereas you can pop your headphones in and just listen. That's why podcasting and in particular broadcast radio still have such high numbers. People listen to it in the car. People listen to it while they're driving, et cetera, et cetera. So and thank you people. We appreciate it. And we do appreciate it. And Kevin Smith, keep up the good work. You are an inspiration to everybody. He and if you haven't read rock. his book, Read his book, Tough Shit. Uh, it is a fantastic read. And you know what? Robot Jay and Silent Bob just wouldn't do it mm-hmm. for me the same way. No, <laughs> could you imagine doing, let us fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving right along. Snoochie boochie. <laughs> Snoogums. <laughs> All right, uh, next thing. We finally have a date for Grant yeah. Morrison's Wonder Woman Earth One. About and fucking time. And <laughs> fucking hey. stunning looking cover. Quality takes time, people. I'm Especially in- DC. Who's the artist on this? <laughs> Who is the artist on this? It is Yannick, Yannick Paquette. Paquette. Okay, Swamp Thing, Batman. I have been oh. so waiting for this book. This is, this is Grant. I mean, I've been really enjoying the uh, Earth One books, except for Teen Titans, which I didn't think much of. But the Batman and the Superman Earth Ones I've really enjoyed. Wasn't a huge fan of Batman. Yep. Batman, um, Batman Earth One, but Superman I thought was really good. Yeah, Superman, all Straczynski. No, just the first volume no, of each. All yeah. three volumes, and there's two volumes of Batman now, and the second volume of Batman is actually better than the first. Straczynski is one of so, my holy quadrility of uh, of writers. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but what I'm hoping happens with this, I've, I've been saying for years that I think the problem with Wonder Woman is that there is no definitive character, no definitive origin story. It jumps around every time creative teams swap. Mm-hmm. And if someone can actually nail that shit down, is Grant Morrison. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Grant Morrison has already come out with some amazing things to say about Wonder Woman when he was talking about Gal Gadot's casting and the trailer basically saying, that Wonder Woman has always been mistreated. She shouldn't be treated as the the rough warrior, you know, snarling. She She's came to our world as an emissary of peace. She's an emissary of peace. That she he said, if you've got an immortal race of women, they're not going to be sitting there working out how to kill each other. They're going to be working out sciences and culture and art. And you sit there and look at it and go, you're on the right track here. Like the fact she can fuck you up is just gravy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm so keen on this. I've been waiting for this for a long time. So when is it? It is. It's a great cover art too. It is amazing. April the sixth. Still so far away. That's okay uh, because to tide you over, you have Santa Claus Year One or whatever it's called. Santa Claus Year One. What? Klaus. No, um, Grant Morrison is writing a series called Klaus that is basically Santa Claus Year One. Why haven't you not told me about this? Uh, huh? Can we? Get the, you're the Grant Morrison fan. The cover, can we yeah. get the cover for Klaus up now? Bring you up, have to see yeah, it. Yeah, let's see. Uh, if you, we can... You're the Grant Morrison no, fan. Why no, did you tell me about Klaus? No one's asked me till now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, this is this is this is filling me full of joy and glee. Yeah, I, I'm. I must see this. Here we go. Grant Morrison. Grant tells Morrison's pumping Santa out Claus stuff all the year time. one. Yeah. Grant Morrison just finished up Annihilator. Ca- oh, Santa and Claus he's is still working on Nameless. And look who it's from. It's from. Boom! Studios. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, the art's pretty stunning too. Oh, the art's like, fantastic. Um, this is this is covered in blood, gory, got 
a deer slung over his shoulder, Santa Claus. Very kid-friendly, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, look, again, if anyone's going to do that right, it's Morrison. Oh, go away, advertising. God, I hate pop-ups. Go, go. Oh, man. No, I'm looking forward to that, too. All right, so I've got two to look forward to. All right, moving on. Moving on. You had Jeff Lemire, Jeff Lemire news. We do have Jeff Lemire news. <laughs> now, Jeff Lemire is a lovely guy. We interviewed him for Behind the Panels, and he's a great writer who's written some amazing stuff. For me, this is less about Jeff Lemire and more about the character that he's writing, which is Moon Knight, mm. who is a, a personal favourite of, of, I know, both mine and Luke's. Absolutely. Um, Moon Knight, Shyamalan. And... and <laughs> 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 this is the this is the fourth creative team that Moon Knight has had. I can't get it. Sorry, I can't even look at the picture anymore. Now. It's I'm even so worse sorry. because of the concept of this story. <laughs> so this is the fourth creative team that Moon Knight has had in four story arcs. Um, very few people seem to know how to handle Moon Knight as a character. He is. For those who aren't familiar, um, I, I wrote a bit about him on the behind, behind the Panels website a little while ago, but he is... A, crazy Batman. He is Crazy Batman, powered by an Egyptian moon god Batman's sometimes. Uh, and No, but he makes Batman look <laughs> sane. That's how crazy he is. And yeah, I mean, he the, the setup basically is that when he met his arch nemesis, he cut his face off. So I mean, <laughs> he's a by night vigilante who wears pure white, so people can see him coming. coming. Oh, I'm well aware of the character. He is so good. He is. He's the Joker and Batman rolled into one. Um, but he's a total nutbag, and um, that's always been part of his charm. The new setup here is that uh, he wakes up in a mental hospital, which he's been in since he was a child, and uh, has imagined the entirety of his career. Um, so, wait a minute, we're going to Dallas this sucker? Well, we're going to. It was all a dream. We're not going to Dallas it. We're going to Shyamalan it, apparently. Because <laughs> surely, surely it's not just going to be, oh, well, if that's the entire story, we know it now. We don't need to read it. I'm sure there's more to it. But, you know. As a setup, it, it's a bit concerning for someone who's a fan of the character. Uh, but uh, the artwork looks pretty good. He's in a, a straight jacket that looks surprisingly like his costume. <laughs> the whole kind of you're crazy and it was all in your head is very well trod ground, though. It is. It is. But, uh, I mean, look what look at what Lemire Since actually Dallas says here. Yeah. <laughs> look what Lemire actually says here. To me, Mark is a very ill man. Uh, he said in a statement describing the series, and being Moon Knight is either going to be part of that illness and ultimately destroy him, or it's going to be the path to his salvation. I'm guessing it's going to be the path to his salvation. Well, I'm, I'm salvation has always been a fair way off for Moon Knight, but you know, <laughs> at least he'll be on that path. Sure. Um, I'm look. I'm really curious and, and interested. And Marvel has been doing some really interesting things with their characters post Secret Wars. Like they're actually seem to be making a devoted effort to switch things up, move them around, uh, and Re- well, not even not even reimagine history. They're just bringing in different versions in some cases, flat Are out. Are we seeing a lot of DC writers jumping ship to Marvel? By the way, first we had Tom Taylor, then we had uh, Jeff Lemire, and there was somebody else who recently jumped ship. Was it uh, moved over? And then we've got somebody who's actually doing both, which I thought was really unusual. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, um, who is it? There was somebody who's writing for both at the moment. I can't remember. We were talking about it last week. We were. Anyway, it doesn't matter. If only um, we had an interconnected group of computers yeah. that could actually tell us this information. Actually, that's uh, on, on a completely unrelated note. Uh, the executive producer of Pan is Greg Berlianti. 
oh. uh, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, you just may have won me over, sir. Alumni of The Flash and Arrow. And Supergirl, yeah. yeah. Supergirl. So, um, yeah, look, it's... Uh, but the Moon Knight series, it looks really interesting. Um, it's part of the new Marvel lineup, which, frankly, the whole lot of it looks like interesting takes on the characters. Yeah, I think Dave's very excited about the new Marvel lineup, yeah? Oh, yeah, if, if Secret Wars ends well. If it ends well. <laughs> <laughs> it better. John Hickman has been setting us up for that for 10 years like now. four more issues, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Have there been delays or is it just taking I forever? I don't know. They it's, added an extra yeah. issue. And there was a, a gap between some of the issues. So I think that, that may have been intentional, though. I don't know if that was... It's going I'm for, loving it, I should it's say. I'm really year, enjoying yeah? it. Is that right? I think it goes till October. Yeah, so it's been like a year. But I don't know what they're going to do. Like, if they're going to finish in October... They might just have to start putting it out weekly, the rest of it. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's not even really halfway, like it feels. Be they might they start the rollout, though, and they might, like, um, not, I don't know, they might, they might not tie it in until Secret Wars ends, if that makes any sense. Like, they might have issue ones of the all That's- new Marvel now that, that will say, like, one year later or something. Oh, yeah. that are releasing as, yeah, I think the yeah. end of Secret Wars will remain. A no-go zone in the actual first couple of issues of yeah. Marvel Now. That's yeah. the, that's not, the, the way I should not have Marvel said. Marvel Now, all new, all different Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, the next thing, before actually before we get on to the next thing, uh, which is about a new TV show, uh, the news came out yesterday that there's a new Doctor Who spin-off uh, happening. Yes, yes. Uh, set, yeah, class. Yeah. Set in a, in a high school um, that's sort of a young adult world-ending scenario. Do you remember the, um, the episode from last year where... Um, they came back and the earth was overgrown. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember what the episode was called, but they should do that class, Danny Pink's class. That would, yeah, that would be kind of that, cool. That as a series, that'd be well, it awesome. Well, is, it is set at the Coal Hill School, so yeah. that may well be the case. Is this going to be yeah. Jenna Coleman's new series? <laughs> well, I, that hadn't escaped no. me yeah. either. I mean, <laughs> Unless she's playing the Queen Victoria in this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, I mean, there's no details yet, so I didn't really want to launch into it as a whole full uh, discussion. But yeah, new Doctor Who spinoff, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I, don't know is, how, I don't know how to feel about this. Well, okay, so this this one harkens back to if you guys listen to behind the panels, our 150th episode, the final one was for the volume one was uh, all about Watchmen, and there's news this week that Zack Snyder has had a meeting with HBO about a Watchmen television show. Um, now, there's questions about whether it's an adaptation of Watchmen or whether it is an adaptation of before Watchmen or whether it's something original entirely. But I think it's a really interesting premise because television gives you so much space to develop and do some interesting things with characters. It does, but what more is there to say about Watchmen? Exactly, unless you're going to make a TV series of before Watchmen, which you could do. That's what they're saying, that it may well be. But I I mean, as 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 far as Watchmen is concerned... We've done it. We've made the film. Leave mm-hmm. it alone. It's done. You know what I mean? I, I don't think we need a TV version of this <laughs> no. now. Um, I just say, why not at this point? Just, yeah. just just make it. We'll forget about it in a year. Well, actually, you know, yeah. like, you know what? I, I like say, Minority I, Report's apparently on TV at the moment. At this point, I don't know like, what to feel about this. I re- actually don't know what to yeah, feel about Yeah, look, I'm, I'm... 12 Monkeys was a TV series. Yeah, that yeah, kind of came and like, went without, yeah. without any like, fanfare. But look... I'm, I'm really just interested to see what they want to do. Mm. You know, it's it's a fascinating idea. If it is kind of their move to horn in on the slightly more adult-skewed TV side of things, like, you know, Jessica Jones is coming up, Daredevil is obviously excellent. There are so many other properties they could be using. Just start mining the Vertigo line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, and we they keep are coming though. Back, they're starting they to. Are. Yeah, we keep coming back to exactly the same properties over and over and over again. There are so many more properties. You know, look at the success of iZombie at the moment mm-hmm. and what's going on on TV at the moment. Let's let's go and find some more. You know, there, mm. there's other, the, the Deadwardians would be another yeah. one that you could make. You know, there's no shortage really. Mm. And I mean, well, there's already a lot of stuff in development. You know, we mm. know we're getting Preacher. We know we're getting Sandman. Uh, there's uh, there's a lot happening. American Gods. I think yeah, I heard talk bullets. of a hundred bullets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, it's it's a very wide open field, and I yeah. think all these questions we've had lately about how how long is the superhero genre going to last? Well, frankly, it's dominating movies currently. It's starting to really take over TV. Um, I think it's still got a few more years left in it at very minimum. With that being said, let's move into TV proper. <laughs> And this is the one that fades down. <laughs> hey, well done. <laughs> so, uh, Ghostbusters. We've actually had two announcements uh, this week. In the, in the show notes, you've got that uh, Sigourney Weaver has confirmed that she's going to have a guest spot in it. And then Annie Potts has said she's also going to be in it as yeah, well. Yeah, it's awesome. So, uh, we now have a whole bunch of people coming up in this original, in this new Ghostbusters well, film. You know so. what? It, I, honestly, I think if they didn't have those nods to the originals. And and like I think Bill Murray established that he wasn't playing Fankman. He was just doing a cameo. I don't think any of them are playing their original yeah. characters. That's the thing. I think they're just cameoing. But just it. having them there is going to be really, really nice to see them yeah. on film again. Sigourney Weaver, she just keeps popping up in these new sci-fi movies. Like you can't keep her away. <laughs> no. Yeah, like she was in Chappy that alien anyone? thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chappy, anyone? Mm. <laughs> that really... Yeah, I won't go yeah. there. Anyway... <laughs> I, I wasn't a huge fan. Um, we've we've been over the Rick Moranis ground a little bit before uh, when they were talking about getting him back yep. for Spaceballs. I, I really hope that he shows up in a cameo. Just like five minutes, Rick, give it to us, please. <laughs> it would be lovely. It would be lovely to see him do it, but I'm, I just don't see it. I don't see him coming back. No, I don't think so. What either. I'm waiting for is the Harold Ramis cameo. I'm sorry, too soon? Oh. <laughs> so they it's should, they should do it. They should do it. <laughs> they should still. They should. <laughs> Just, yeah. we'll, we'll CGI in so Harold Ramis. in as a force ghost. ghost. Absolutely. <laughs> Could you? No, no, no. no, no in all seriousness, not, not, not to go as poor taste as having him as a ghost, <laughs> but like um, maybe like an audio recording or a video footage or... Or they a should, picture, a they should replay the ad, the, origi- the original Ghostbusters yeah. ad with the three of them. We're ready to, to believe, believe you. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> because as, as much as it feels like bad taste to put him in the movie, I think it's even worse taste to put everybody else but and, well, and ignore that him. That was um, the whole thing yeah. with Slimer. It was like a tribute to Belushi. Like yeah. It was meant to be Belushi's mm-hmm. ghost. That's right, so, I mean, yeah, I think there is room, bad taste or not, there is room to put Ramus into this in yeah. some way. You know what? I mean, there's been so much skepticism over this film and so much reactionary reactionary commentary to everything about it. But, Bullshit. I'm excited. But I think, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm actually think, getting more excited about I think, the film as it goes. I think it's Paul Feig is, is on the right track. And I think it should also be stressed that Paul Feig has really never gone wrong at this point. I mean, all of his films are funny films that have been very successful. And so you sit there and look at it and go, I don't think we actually have a lot of reason to doubt him at this point. So even Ivan Reitman has actually said things are looking good on this. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. So you know, I, don't, I don't see any reason to doubt that this is actually going to... Only, the only thing that comes down to on this film that it comes back to all things is, which is why the hell are we even doing it? But other than that question... No, but look, I think know? that there's some validity to doing it. I mean, 
For years, Ghostbusters Ghostbusters fans have wanted more Ghostbusters. Yeah, but they wanted more Ghostbusters. This comes down to the Ash versus the Evil Dead argument, which is for fans. Fans continually said, "We want more Evil Dead. We want more Evil Dead. We want more Evil Dead." So Raimi said, "Okay," and produced a remake of Evil Dead. And the fans liked it, but they all said, "No, no, no, no. We, we want, want Bruce Campbell. We want Evil Dead. We we don't want a remake. We want Bruce Campbell, Ash, and we want Evil Dead." And that's why the series is now coming out because they finally said, all right, you guys want it? Here it comes, you know? And they're giving him. So what fans are saying is we want more Ghostbusters. That doesn't mean they want a remake. I'm they not- want more Ghostbusters. See, so as a remake though, it's a legacy. It is a legacy film. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. So as I say, the jury is completely out on this. I am getting more excited as it's coming because I think it, it has the potential to be a very funny film. And the original Ghostbusters is still there. It's not like it's going anywhere. So this whole idea of, oh, it's going to destroy the original film. No, no, no. the argument's never held water because the original's still there. You can go back and watch. That being said, there's still the question of why, but, you know, we don't really need to. But at the same time, full power to them. Yeah, Yeah. why not? So anyway, so the question is why. The answer is why not. All right, so from Feig to Feige. um, (laughs) Are they the same person? I I don't think so. (laughs) I don't know. Have you ever seen them in a room together? No. (laughs) Um, We were talking a couple of weeks ago about Ronda Rousey's campaign to be Captain Marvel. Was it actually her campaign or a fan campaign? I think it was actually her. Okay. Uh, She asked her fans to to do a bit of it, I think. Or she saw some fans do it and then encouraged it. Either way... Uh, Kevin Feige has taken note and talked about it. Uh, okay. And uh, he said that uh, going back to his early days at Marvel, there were always people campaigning to be Wolverine. Uh, that was pre-Twitter and pre-internet. And uh, and things would pop up in Wizard Magazine talking about this person wants this to play this role. Uh, and it's a testament to how great the characters are that it appeals to such a wide range of talented people. All right, that's the politically correct answer now. That is the politically correct answer. <laughs> um, and uh, he has definitely noticed it. He talked about the fact that uh, in the past they've taken people who seemed unlikely, like they bulked up Chris Hemsworth. They took Dave Batista, who turned out to be very entertaining and have great comic timing as, as Drax. So uh, he said that... Uh, it's sitting down with people and starting to meet people as the script takes shape and uh, we start to build the character and who it should be and finding the right person to match it up. So in other words, what he's saying is, yeah, she can come and audition. That's right. <laughs> but you know what? It's a step in the right direction for Absolutely. her. Absolutely. So who who are our picks for Captain Marvel? It's, it's a question that's been bad. bouncing around this studio a lot and I think we've had everything from Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica to, uh, so what's her name again? Um, uh, Starbuck. Uh, oh, um, Katie oh shit, Sackhoff. Katie Sackhoff. Katie Sackhoff, thank you. Uh, Katie Sackhoff. There was one who was mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I think you Re- mentioned Rebecca it. Ferguson from Mission Rebecca Impossible. Ferguson. Yeah. Actually, that's my hot pick at the moment is Rebecca Ferguson. I like the idea of Abby Cornish. Abby Cornish. Yeah. Cool. yeah. yeah. Kind of out of left field. But yeah, look, but I think she could like, do it. Um, uh, and Marvel's got the track record of not taking huge names. Yeah, yeah. Just like solid actors. I like um, Alicia Vikander. I think her name is. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, she may be a little bit slight in frame. Yeah, though. I think I think like the everyone wants to go for the real buff and stuff like that. But I think it'd be stronger if it was more. I don't realistic, even think buff. I just looking, I just think a little bit more imposing. You know? That's all. Just yeah, a little bit taller, yeah, I maybe. Know about that, you know like what? The, but you know, Carol Danvers. She's ex-military. Yeah. She needs to have that. Yeah, physically yeah, that, imposing that's, stature. That's, that's true. Two yeah. things. I don't gonna, think that I don't think they need to go ridiculous to prove the point. No, so. no. Two but things like, I'm going to put yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, I agree. Like it would. <laughs> yeah. Two Jamie, things. You have the floor. Two Can things I'm going to put out there. 
Thank you. <laughs> Two things I'm going to put out there. The first is uh, that I actually think Ronda Rousey is a really good choice depending on her acting ability. I think I've actually been taking note of this and she's turned up in about three films I've watched over the last couple of weeks, including Furious 7. And she was in something else I just watched. Um, oh, she's in uh, uh, Expendables 3. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, she and Entourage, is, apparently. She is not an amazing actress. She's got a lot of presence on screen. She fights really well. But, but is, we she going really- to, is she going to co-carry a phase alongside Bendy Toots? Oh, sorry, Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> I don't know if she will, she'll actually be able to hold up to Benedict Cumberbatch match or not. Um, <laughs> uh, but, not Khan. But, not Khan. Not Khan. Yeah, not Khan Snatch. <laughs> oh, that's a terrible. <laughs> um, but uh, Khan Snatch. <laughs> But sorry, just- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm not sure if she actually quite has the acting chops to carry a film. She might play a good second fiddle. She might be a good other character who, like Batista, in the background. Mm-hmm. I don't think Batista could have carried Guardians of the Galaxy on his own. You know what I mean? Probably not. And there is a lot riding on Captain Marvel for Marvel. But we'll see Consider how she is the first. First super major female lead. Now this is and Marvel doesn't have that many female characters they can build properties around. No. Are you kidding? They got a few. They've transferred virtually every hero into a being a being a woman now. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> true. We got we got female Thor. Are they going to build film properties around them? No. Well, why wouldn't they? Because the average film audience, because remember the film audience and the comic book audience are two very different beasts, and the average film audience knows. Thor, for instance, they know Thor from years and years and years You're of forgetting about this no, Dave. that no, picture. Look, the look if the Harley's coming next year, people. She's not if, Marvel though. Not yeah, Marvel. but I'm saying like if when, when ends, Suicide Squad comes out, Harley Quinn is going to make every other studio. And I'll tell you run, now, run if the end it. of a Thor film is that he does something wrong, gets struck by a lightning bolt, and is a woman, do you know what people happen? will be so hooked? No, do you know what happened? They'll either be completely hooked, or they're going to go. That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Well, they didn't see Hitman, but <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> But what works in a comic book <laughs> does not necessarily work in film, and that's a very big thing. That's true. That's true. Just, Marvel has played such a smart game. The second point, go the, the second point, and the, the the big one that I think is important is that we are getting Harley Quinn and Wonder Woman on screen next year. Both of them are being hyped up and given a lot of presence. Whoever plays Captain Marvel. It doesn't have to be a competition, but Marvel will make it one. Yeah. Straight away. I, I, okay, I, will, be- I will stress one thing, though. I don't think Wonder Woman is being hyped. Wonder Woman has been has been backseated the entire time through the advertising. And that's well, no, like that's Holly- not true. That's not true because we know that, you know, Aquaman, we know. We we know that big, Aquaman and we Cyborg are, are in the nerd film. nerd fans who follow every film site. We're talking about the general public, and the only thing the general public really knows is what they see in a trailer. Well, she's the only other character that made it to the trailer. Yeah, but she doesn't Apart say, she doesn't say a word, and there's two shots of her. Whereas everybody else, she has not been hyped. I think the difference between Wonder Woman, Harley, and Captain Marvel is this is going to be a vehicle for a Captain Marvel character, not an ensemble movie. Exactly. That's this is a true. standalone mm, film. That does yeah. make a big difference. I agree with you. Although, I, yeah. I th- I'm, I'm waiting like to see it's not really an ensemble, the real marketing hey. start with Wonder Woman. Was it the, they have not done it yet. What's Richard's joke? The um, that Suicide Squad is just Joker and Harley and some other guys? <laughs> yes, <what they're> <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I expect once it gets yeah. closer to, re- to release, the big trailer campaign is going to focus on Will Smith. Because ah. American movie-going audiences like Will Smith. Yeah. Not at the moment I, I, they don't. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's yeah. the problem. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> Remember, American audiences are still burning after, after Earth. <laughs> <laughs> know, just, just, it'll be interesting just, to see know. because don't yeah. forget, Harley has a much wider audience than comics because mm-hmm. she was in Batman the Animated Series. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct. She is a character that is known to the public already and they mm-hmm. want to put that on screen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, yeah. I think, I think, I think see, you're right on the money with Harley Quinn. I don't think Wonder Woman mm-hmm. has been hyped yet. If they start hyping Wonder Woman... 
in that film, that's fine. But at the moment, rumor has it she's a glorified cameo. Hmm. She walks on and walks off. That's about it. Well, um, the the last thing I heard about studio notes on that movie were more Batman. Yeah, more Batman. More Batman, more Batman. I'm guessing that the whole league will be effectively cameos. Well, we know that Aquaman is not... is even if he's in it, he'll be a glance mm-hmm. because they're saving him for something else. He, well, hasn't, I, he hasn't even made an appearance yet. Apparently, one thing that I was reading was that uh, was that he was effectively cameoed in Man of Steel. Uh, we that there was uh, something in the underwater sequence when he's floating underwater. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't believe. I think it's fan service. Yeah, I think, I think it's probably... like, see that shadow over there. That shadow, that, like that shadow over yeah. there might, might be something. <laughs> the, <laughs> the kind, BBO kind of looks like a binary the sunset. sunset. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> nice callback, sir. <laughs> quite possibly, but you know, like I, I think it would be a way to do it. Would be to have Aquaman in flashback and then appear in the film. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and but I think that for the most part, yeah, the leaguers are going to be a cameo. They're going to be something that happens in the background. Wonder Woman will show up. She'll snarl. She'll leave, and that'll be the that'll be the extent of it. And then she'll get her own film. And mm. then that's what we really wait for is her own film to see what they do with her. That's right. You know, then she gets hyped. But at the moment, let's not forget at this moment in time, Warner Brothers has absolutely no faith in Wonder Woman. They've had no faith in Wonder Woman for the last 10 years. The TV series got a pilot and was cancelled. Joss Whedon was in Sydney, had sets built. It was Mm. cast. He was going through everything and he had his plug pulled and basically Wonder Woman fell apart. They have no faith Mm. in Wonder Woman. Well, here's one other other thing though, um, is that whoever plays Captain Marvel is going to be following on from Supergirl on TV as well. Yeah. Yes. And Actually, like, um, I don't know if it, if it would ever be possible, but I think Jennifer Lawrence would probably make a really good Captain Marvel. Jennifer Lawrence could do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, but with Hunger Games, because we've got to remember Hunger Games is like one of the most successful franchises and it yeah. features a lot. I actually, I actually just know. saw the, the final trailer for Hunger Games, last Hunger yeah. Games last night. It looks really good. Yeah, they're great. And, um, and same with Star Wars is going to have the... Uh, the lead of it being yeah. a female, and um, so it, it's the age. The highest grossing movies are led by women. Absolutely, Ghostbusters and led by power women. Power to it. We yeah, want it it's, to happen. It's, it's no, it's no longer a secret yeah. anymore that people want to see this stuff. So don't don't get me wrong when I know, talk about Wonder Woman. But, I'm not talking about the fact that she's not being hyped and she shouldn't be. I think she should be. I think the problem is at the moment yeah. she's not. Yeah, but there seems to be like a real disconnect because mm-hmm. Disney doesn't really make a comment about this. But the media goes nuts about the lack of toys, the lack of representation. But Disney did like, make a comment. Disney actually this. did, yeah. yeah, yeah Disney yeah, but, did. But they actually cut what's his name that, out of yeah. making movies because he cut all the female toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it didn't, <laughs> but it didn't come from the creatives. Sorry, it didn't come from the creatives, the people that make the films. Well, the creatives and the merchandisers are too. Yeah, because the merchandisers chose. Of course. Not yeah, to but do apparently it. all the yeah. merchandisers. Yeah, but, but what I'm saying is the Black Widows predominance in the movie yeah. isn't reflected in the toys. It's no. not like the movie undermines her. Or no, but apparently her. that well, was that was, apparently, well, that's, yeah. apparently that was addressed on. This is one of the reasons why Disney and Feige have gone one way and Marvel mm. head has gone the other way is because all the merchandising choices about cutting Black Widow from the action figures, this was all Marvel's doing. Mm. And basically Disney was not happy about any of this. Because remember, Disney's made a career out of princesses mm-hmm. and has made a career out of female toys. Mm-hmm. Okay, And basically Disney has said that they were quite upset by all of the press that mm. Age of Ultron's toy line got because where was Black Widow Honestly, this? Honestly, so. you only need to look at the number of memes that go around Facebook of, you know, my daughter wanted to have a Princess Hulk birthday and, you know, so we made this cake or a Princess Thor mm. birthday yeah. and, you know, so here's her costume. It's mm. it's happening. Yeah, it's, little it's, little it's, girls yeah. want to be superheroes. Wait it's, till it's the it's next there. Marvel film. 
there'll be a lot more yeah, cause, female cause merchandising my, on that. What I wanted to say originally was just that my, my take on this Carol Danvers uh, situation with Ronda Rousey and all that and the hunt for the actor is that it doesn't come from like, oh, can a woman lead a superhero movie? Of course not. It, it comes from like Marvel knows how important and significant that this is. So they want to get it right. Absolutely. And they got like, like, the to get right the right woman. person to really carry this because she's, she's not just playing Captain Marvel. And I think a lot know, of the... She's playing... A female superhero. It's, I, it's it's important. I think a lot of the the more, but I don't want to be a, you know, the heavy white, feminist. White the heavy anything. feminist criticism in this in this situation. I think a lot of it needs to focus on that. That we mm. need to find the right person for a role. Yeah. Um, yes. And and in this case, you I know, completely the right agree. Captain Marvel. And what, and, what, about- and what Ronda Rousey does is kind of pretty offensive <laughs> in within the industry because it's 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 using media and attention grabbing stuff to get a role well which is which is like maybe you should she's just not audition. alone in that you know, yeah, yeah i know but maybe you should just audition am- amongst I, the thousands of other people you also that have want to that think role. though about what her current yeah. career is and it's all about self-pr absolutely and, her, and absolutely. at the moment her current yeah. it, it cannot hurt her mma career mm. at all that she has this kind of publicity going and around. she's already proved that nobody can hurt her mma <laughs> career <laughs> exactly and the kind of thing is I'm, I'm exactly on what you said jamie just like you know if if she's really good Audition. Great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I think awesome. so. if she is right for the role, cast her. Absolutely. You know? If she's not right for the role, I, cast somebody yeah. else. I think it's that's what we're going to see with Jessica Jones. Christian Ritter is going to be very, like, prototypical early stages for how they have female driven vehicles. Correct. And while we're on that. Just to thing, give you the segue there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Another teaser dropped for Jessica Jones this week. Once again, we're not going to play it on the show because it is just music and it makes for gripping radio. <laughs> but in this particular sequence, we just see her put a coin into a jukebox and then walk through a, a bar, which she has trashed, obviously. Um, it is genius. The marketing campaign for this has been perfect. It has been great. Uh, for those who are listening to the show and don't know who Jessica Jones is because there is a great deal of people who don't because she is one of the lesser known Marvel characters because she's not flashy she doesn't wear a costume she is an ex-superhero she was a creation of Brian Michael Bendis uh, who I know is Jamie's favorite writer I'm shaking my fist Uh, uh, (laughs) Brian Michael Bendis created quite possibly my favorite Marvel character of all time by crafting this character in a book called Alias not to be mistaken with the TV show um, of the same name but basically she is a fallen superhero so she can fly but not very well she is strong but really doesn't know how strong and she's fast but we don't really know how fast who has gone through some sort of life uh, changing circumstance that has just driven her into a fit of depression and chain smoking and alcoholism and now runs her own little detective agency. When you describe her that way, I really want Warren Ellis to write a sequel to Next Wave and put her in it. <laughs> <laughs> and then what we do is for the for the run of the Max title alias is her going through various uh, cases that she's dealing with. And some of them are connected to superheroes and some of them are not. And like the very first arc is she's trying to get back a tape which shows Captain America in a compromising position. And so she's trying to recover that tape. Uh, in another arc, we have her <laughs> acting as a bodyguard to Matt Murdock, who has been outed as Daredevil. And so her and Luke Cage are hired as his bodyguards. They know very well that he is Daredevil, but play along with the fact that he's saying he's not. And that's where they meet and they end up having a relationship, which is going to spawn off to the other Netflix series, which is Luke Cage. This is a, a brilliant character who is foul-mouthed and, and doesn't take shit from anyone. And she's brilliant. And... 
This series has been on the boil and on the works for the last five years. CBS was originally going to do it. It was called AKA Jessica Jones and dropped it at the last minute. And I'm so glad they did because they couldn't have done it justice. And the Netflix team do. After, after Daredevil. After Daredevil, we amazing. know that this is yeah. in very good hands and they can let her rip with her mouth. And Ritter is actually a very funny person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she actually allows us to put that comedy bent into it. She should be terrific in the role. She's very small. So that'll kind of give us, there's a great line in the comic book where she's chasing down a thug, thug bolts past her, goes down an alley and she's already at the other end of the alley. He goes, man, you're fast. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, fuck you, move on. A couple of other cool things that have dropped this week. Uh, New Bond film, sorry, New Bond theme for the new film. Yes. Which, and a new which, Bond trailer this morning. And so. a new Bond trailer, which uh, the, the theme got pulled really quickly. <laughs> yeah. uh, due to copyright infringement, this theme has been pulled. So uh, I don't know who dropped it, but it came and went like that. So New trailer for The X-Files. Uh, I haven't watched this one yet. Oh, Gillian Anderson. <laughs> but, but both we of all them, take a moment. <laughs> both of them, they... they it's like they just haven't forgotten how to do it. They slipped straight back into it. Is and it Chris it's Mulder and again? Scully and yeah. 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 Can I just say, because I will always talk about this show, how good was she in Hannibal? I didn't see Hannibal. You have to go back and watch all of Hannibal. I didn't watch Hannibal. It was so good. <laughs> was, oh my God. I, I was told it was really good. And funnily enough, I have every episode of Hannibal. I just haven't watched them. Having a time. Gillian Anderson is amazing, though. She's a great actress. Um, and is that it? Is that everything for the news? Uh, that takes us to. Um, now, you, you posed a very wanky question. I did. And, uh, so the question basically is, and we're going to go through this very quick because we've got to get to the film review. We are an hour and a half in. But basically you said, who is the target? Hey, take a break. Bring that back. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> who is the target audience for film? Uh, then when we look at a film, how does our difference from that audience affect our perceptions of that film? It's a very big question and it's not something that's going to have a definitive answer. Everybody's going to have their own opinion. But what was very interesting was you posed it up onto Facebook and we got some answers. We did. We got some answers on Facebook as well. So while they're loading up. While loading, <laughs> what do you think of this? Uh, can we go back to the question? For a second? <laughs> <laughs> it is I didn't realise I had to prepare a response. No, you don't. It's just, you it's don't. just a rough thoughts. Well... I don't, big, I don't think you question. can give a blanket answer to that question. Films are designed for different audiences. <laughs> well, I agree. Okay, so let's obviously they are, but let's think about what's what's a studio's perception of you know the average film going audience. Uh, once again, I don't see, and this is where we get to the, the, the crux of the academic question. I think the basis basic thesis is actually not valid. Because I don't think there is one overall audience. Of, of for course, there's not. No, and I think what's going to happen is any film that you look at, they're going to look at a demo of that film, and then they're going to aim for that demo. Yeah, it seems like more of a marketing question than a filmmaking question. Correct. And so basically, look, Pan is a great example. Let's mm-hmm. take Pan as an example. So you say this is an argument that, or not an argument, but it's a discussion Dave and I have had a lot, which is when you make a film, we sit there and say it's a great kids' film, right? Now. Our demographic now is a kid's film. What demographic is that? Are we looking at the zero to tens? Are we looking at the zero to fives? Are we looking at the 10 to 15s? Are we, what, what demo, because there's lots of areas of kids. Traditionally, there's gender bias in there as well. Gender bias and so forth. Then we look at it and go, can we, and this is where Dave and I have had discussions, and the film E.T. continually comes up because you look at it and you go, now can we make a film that is smart enough to be, applicable to audience, adult audiences, but also not pandering to children, but allowing them access to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So E.T. was one of those amazing films which actually proved 
that you can actually make a film that appeals to everybody in one go. That's what Pixar's built a brand out and of. Pixar, and Pixar has built a brand on this, where you sit there and go, it has enough for children in it that they get something out of it, and adults get something completely different from it. Guardians you of the Galaxy definitely hit some of those notes too. Yeah, slightly older, younger audience, so we're looking at the... the, the 10 to teens, um, but then the adults also get everything out of it as well, you know? And you look at it and go, so we, we, when you're actually setting up your target audience to start with, you're going, what demographic am I actually aiming for? I think comic book movies are an interesting discussion to have in this context because you don't need to sell them to comic fans. Comic That's fans right. will see them anyway. You need and to sell them to a mass market. In fact, you do not want to market to a, co- to a no. comics fan because a comics fan is going to have an expectation set up. It's going to be like my comic. Where what you need to do is you actually need to make a film that is going to aim directly at the mass market, but not upset mm-hmm. the comic book reader, and that's that's the, the the balance there. You're not actually you never want. And so I think I think this is the problem with video game movies. We keep talking about there has never been. I can quite honestly say I don't think it, we've had this talk before earlier. You know about day three of this show because it's been going on for a while now. But but when we were saying you know which which ones are the better or worse. Uh, video game movies quite honestly I don't think there's any good video game movie I don't think they've made one yet that has actually been a quality piece of cinema based on a video game but that being said I think they're always approaching it the wrong way because they always approach it by saying we're making a video game movie rather than saying we're making a film that happened to have its source in video games but we're aiming it at the mass market I think the first Mortal Kombat film came pretty close to that it was actually a really decent little martial arts flick but, um, Watch it again, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I have recently. I saw it in 95 when it came out. I've seen it a couple of times since, and I actually watched it fairly recently. It doesn't hold up. Oh, it's not a good film. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. Anyway, what, but what I want to bring it back to is, uh, you know, this is a film, this is a show where we do film, not criticism, but we, we you know, we do film reviews. When we're reviewing, you know, how do our differences from who they're trying to pitch to? You know, like when we've gone and looked at kids' films, mm. you know, how does that affect our view? While you guys are thinking about it, I'll tell you what a couple of people on Facebook yep. have thought about it. So Chris Comerford, he's uh, a regular at the shop. Nice to hear from you, Chris. Has said that... Uh, Paraphrase all of these, please. Yeah, I, I intend to. Um, one of the things that he brought up was he'd bet that a film critic who didn't like Age of Ultron would have a different critical experience than he personally did uh, as someone predisposed towards weed and superheroes and action films. Um, and that's that's you know a fairly accurate description. We get into it. That's actually that is actually a different question though. So I completely agree with him, and that is that I and I've said this on the show a couple of times. I think film critics are completely out of touch with audiences though, and that's that's been going on for a while. I agree, but then he, he also brings up the same thing with Twilight that that people who saw Twilight and didn't and and weren't you know tween hmm. angst vampire fans, um, you know sort of saw through the what he's called the crap of that movie. Um, and, and Not a fan, obviously. I don't know. Like, I think predilection sets up expectation. So I like Whedon superhero stuff and action movies. Did not like Age of Ultron. Hmm. No, I... And, no, not liking a film, basically saying, you know, it's, a, it's an average film or it didn't live up to what I was expecting or what have you, is different to critics who are actually outright destroying... Everything that is actually turning a billion dollars at the box office. And you sit there and look at it and go, and I'm not saying that turning a billion dollars at the box office makes it a good film. I'm just saying that they're completely out of touch with what audiences obviously want to see. Because when a film like, um, what was the most recent example of this I saw? Uh, and I went, wow, you just look at that and go, the, audio, the critics just didn't understand 
what oh, Pacific Rim was a good example yeah. of this. Mm-hmm. Pacific Rim made the a entire, lot of money. Like this is like the fifth time we brought it up. But yeah, Fast absolutely. and the Furious franchise. And Fast and the Furious. Oh, actually, that was it. Fast and Furious Seven got what got slaughtered. They said, "Oh, but no. it was genius. It was but a it was, fantastic pop culture action movie. That's absolutely, what it had to be. a blast to watch." And yeah, we're not looking for. I mean, and this is one of the things that Roger Ebert once said, which I really appreciated, when he basically said he got blasted because in his book Four Star Reviews, he actually had Conan the Barbarian and Gone with the Wind. And somebody said, "You can't compare Gone with the Wind and Conan." He goes, I'm not trying to compare them. He goes, you judge a film for what the film set out to achieve. He said, Conan the Barbarian is the best fantasy film made at that time and completely achieved what it set out to do. Mm, So it's a four-star film. Gone with the Wind was the perfect romantic Civil War epic of its time, and it completely achieved what it set out to do. You can't compare them. They are different films, but they're both four stars in their own right. And I think that's what we need to look at. Every film needs to be taken on the merit of the film, not on what we expect it to be. Mm -hmm. Matthew Katusiak on Facebook brought up another good point, which is that uh, we may have some uh, preconceived notions about age, gender, you know, and what you will like in cinema as a result. But, you know, there's definitely older people who like things aimed at a younger audience like Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and and specifically the Michael Bay incarnations mm-hmm. of those. Mm. I, I, I think this is my issue with film criticism in particular because critics are concerned with movies being good, not movies being entertaining. Thank you. One of the things we do on this show, and we have done for the last seven years, is we don't use a star system. We don't rate. We don't rate films. We are not critics. We are fans, and we're reviewers, and we're basically saying, "Did we like it or not?" So, therefore, what we do is we try and rate films by: Did you enjoy the film, and would you recommend it to friends? Yeah, I've, you know? I've enjoyed some really bad movies. Me too. I I revel in yeah. really bad movies. I have an entire section of my site called the Gloriously Wonderful Bad List for films that are so. <laughs> astronomically bad they surpass bad and come all the way back around to brilliance and the um, badness is is definitely part of the attraction in some films absolutely uh, one of my favorite films of all time is Life Force by no means a good film <laughs> and I don't expect anyone else to like it but I love it mm-hmm. um, so uh, yeah so we come down to the central conceit of the question which is we the, the target audience of film is going to be aimed at whoever the target audience is. I think if we break this question down, the way I see it, if we break this question down, we say, who's the demographic that it's aimed for? And then if we take somebody who's not part of that demographic and say, what did they think of the film and how are they affected by that film? I think that comes down to the skill of the filmmaker. Of course. Because I think that comes down to whether or not a film like E.T. can completely shatter the idea of target demographic, uh, where a film like um, Guardians of the Galaxy completely shatters the idea of demographic, you know? Well, like, that's what Spielberg's a master of, is the family movie. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, that's what he's known as being the master of, and yet he's gone on to so much else, but that's what he's always remembered mm-hmm. for. We've always talked, remembered for that. We've talked about Pixar already, but, uh, I mean, the best, the absolute stunning example of this for me would be The Incredibles, which is very much, to me, about Mr. Incredible and his his fatherhood and his family journey but it's all dressed as a superhero film for kids and yes. it's you know it's just such a masterful way to weave in those complex adult concerns behind a bright colorful facade and i've said this for a long time which is if you are making a film you and let me start from let me let me back <laughs> this a little bit let me just rewind that a little bit and say a long time people have actually said to me that uh, because i've always been a populist uh, film watcher. I love big Hollywood blockbuster. Mm-hmm. I love I love big cinema. 
little intimate dramas, your films like Doubt and stuff, yes, you can go see them at the cinema, but I don't think really lose anything by watching them on a 55-inch home TV set. Not at all. You know what I mean? Whereas when you go to the cinema and you're paying $25 a ticket, you want spectacle. You want to go, this is something that I'm not going to experience at home. This is something that's big. Um, so I've always been, I've always been, and I've always said on this show that the 80s is one of my favorite eras of cinema and there's, there's a lot to be loved in the 80s, a lot to bad in the 80s, but you know, whatever. The point is, out of all of this, I've completely forgotten my point. No, um, no, I have completely forgotten my point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I strayed so far off there, I completely lost my point. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. We'll come back to it. If I remember it, I'll drop it back in. There was something I was going to say about all of that. Anyway, I'm sure it was really good it as well. It was really good. I had it all worked up in my head. We went from now, The Incredibles to 80s cinema. Yeah, to, yeah. I know. It was no. staggering. You know, that's what happens when you get old. I've said I'm old, right? I'm really old. <laughs> Let's get, move on to this film okay. review. Um, well, I was going to do a Ridley Scott rundown, but I lost my document. <laughs> my dog ate my homework. No, I started writing this document. And, and well, thank, come on. Thank, thank you to my online service, which I will remain nameless because I'm not going to go bagging anybody. But uh, it, my document has vanished, <laughs> which I was halfway through this morning and I haven't had time. But I can do some of this off the we, top of my look, head. Look, we can do Ridley Scott off the top of our head. Ridley Scott directed Alien. That's, I got better than that, though. I've, yeah. I'll remember some of You got better than that. I was, talk, I was talking to uh, Luke about this before you guys turned up. Basically, let's talk about Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott is a British filmmaker who came from the background of commercials. He, with his brother, Tony Scott, formed Ridley Scott & Associates uh, after he had already done a stint on the BBC. And here's a piece of trivia you probably didn't know. He was actually one of the early production designers in 1962 of a little series called Doctor Who. What were their parents thinking? <laughs> well, they're, Let's name one Tony and the other one Ridley. Well, and what's really interesting about their parents is he's, he's an army brat. He actually comes from a family which was uh, military and really uh, uh, um, by the book kind of people. That doesn't surprise me. And his father actually deterred him from being in the military and stuff and actually encouraged him to be in the arts. Mm. Interesting choice. But in 1962, when he was a, a minor production designer on that little show, Doctor Who, he was actually asked to design a particular alien um, called a Dalek. And uh, he actually didn't have time so he <laughs> referred it on to the person who actually did who was a friend of his and said can you design the dialect and the rest is history but yeah so Ridley Scott goes back quite a long time I, At- know, I know it was Geiger and not Ridley Scott but I'm just picturing Doctor Who if the dialects looked like Xenomorph <laughs> <laughs> it makes you wonder what Ridley Scott they do done. on the inside <laughs> So after, after when he formed his uh, production company um, with his brother Tony Scott, uh, Ridley Scott and Associates, they produced something in the realms of two or three thousand commercials for television in Britain. They were and still considered to be the most successful television commercial filmmakers uh, in England. Uh, so much so that he actually was invited to in 1984 to direct the Apple uh, 1984 ad campaign, which you've probably seen on YouTube and so forth. An ad that was only ever aired once. Uh, officially, it was aired during the Super Bowl in 1984, and it cost a million dollars to put it on the air. Do you know so, they got Tom Baker to come and do Apple ads in Australia? Did they really? Yeah, because uh, because the computers were sublet to another company here in the 80s. Right. Um, they basically they got the Doctor and Leela to uh, to go on you know a 30 second adventure where nice, they needed a, a computer. Nice. <laughs> So Ridley Scott, after making all of these ads, uh, basically got talking to David Putnam and they got their first film off the ground, which was a film called The Duelists, which actually went on to be nominated for a Palme d'Or, a Palme d'Or Award um, and also won first time director uh, at Cannes that year as well. Uh, so a new, new director at that time. A brilliant film with Harvey Keitel, uh, sensational work. And then he followed that up with the Brandywine production.
adaptation of a little science fiction film called Alien that I'm sure some of you have seen. And no, what's it about? <laughs> um, which was a phenomenon in its time and continues to be a phenomenon. He followed that up with another little film, which I'm sure we none of us have ever heard of called Blade Runner. So, <laughs> so his one-two punch, basically, of Alien and Blade Runner. But then he didn't direct another science fiction film until Prometheus, much later down the track. Um, during the 80s, he produced films like Thelma and Louise, uh, Someone to Watch Over Me. Dave, I'm sure you've got a few you can throw in here while I'm at it. Uh- White Squall. White Squall, there you go. Uh, so there's a few of them in there. And then uh, in the 90s, or the early 2000s, late 90s, he produced... Black Bla- Rain. <laughs> well, Black Rain was another one, yeah. Uh, but, of course, Gladiator came along mm-hmm. much later, which a lot of us know, uh, a lot of the more popular audience today know Ridley Scott from Gladiator. There's heaps, G.I. Jane. G.I. Jane, yeah. This is all throughout the 90s and so forth. He was a very busy man. Now, what's interesting about uh, Ridley Scott is that for the last few years... Now, this is a man that Dave and I were bo- are both enormous fans Mm. I mean Ridley Scott could do no wrong he's one of those sort of directors who I would describe like John Carpenter as saying that I would watch him direct the phone book Mm. but then later in life his films seem to have fallen down a little bit and and Dave and I have both been saying where's our Ridley gone and the last four films in particular with uh, The Counselor and Robin Hood and Exodus and oh uh, Exodus I forgot about Exodus a lot of people forget about Mm. Exodus and what was the other there's another one in there I want to mention as well Uh, Um, Prometheus Well, I'm Prometheus, of course. Uh, You kind of sit there and go, what happened? Mm. What happened to this man? Now, um, this week we are actually going to bring ourselves to The Martian, which is his latest film. We won't won't bury the lead on this. We will actually talk a little bit about The Martian. We are going to get in our fifth person to help review The Mm. Martian. Uh, Nicholas will be joining us in just a minute. We'll get the trailer rolling here in a second. We're going to say The Martian, directed by Ridley Scott and written by uh, one of my favorites, Drew Goddard, who Mm -hmm. is a uh, a very close friend of Joss Whedon based on a novel by Andy Weir. Uh, it stars Matt Damon, and I was very tempted in the show notes just to put and other actors. <laughs> yes, yeah. because realistically, I think that's selling the cast short. It had such a strong supporting, and cast. that's why I finally went and yeah. wrote everybody down. So I said um, Jessica Chastain, Kristen Wiig, Jeff Daniels, Michael Pena, uh, Sean Bean, who doesn't die again. Sorry, spoilers, but you know actually, <laughs> we got to throw that out there. He's not one of the ones on Mars. It's fine. No, it's like he's not on Mars. He's not even in space, so it's okay. Mm. Kate Mara. All right, help me out, Luke. I think it's Chiwetel. Chiwetel. Oh, Childish Gambino. <laughs> wow. Chiwetel, That's racist, sir. Uh, now, who wants to have a Wait, crack why? at the Why is that racist? He's in the movie. A That's not who we're talking Sorry? about. A GF4. A GF4. A GF4. No, you, I thought we were naming... No, no not no, Donald Glover. Oh, no, I wasn't... I, I, was, I, thought, I thought you were just listing the, the people no, in the movie. I'm trying to pronounce his name. Oh, I thought you, I, sorry, I want to make that clear. I thought, I thought you were saying, help me out with who else is in the movie. No, I, no, 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 no. I just no, to, please. God, saying, no. Put it all together. On a side note, do Age we, of do 4 we, was we, amazing. In do we show. go back and take that out? No, no, God, no. who cares? I was sincere. He misheard it. Put it all together. Put it all together. It's Chiwetel Ejiofor. four. Thank you. And The Winter Soldier. So... Sebastian Stan. Sorry, according to IMDb, during an unmanned mission to Mars, astronaut Mark Watney is presumed dead after a fierce storm and left behind by his crew. But Watney has survived and finds himself stranded and alone on the hostile planet with only meager supplies. Uh, he must draw upon his, in- his ingenuity, will, and spirit to subsist and find a way to signal to Earth that he is alive. And that comes straight from IMDb. Here is a little bit of the trailer. Every human being has a basic instinct to help each other out. If a hiker gets lost in the mountains, people coordinate a search. If an earthquake levels the city, people all over the world send emergency supplies. 
This instinct is found in every culture, without exception. At around 4.30 a.m., our satellites detected a storm approaching the Ares 3 mission site on Mars. The storm had escalated to severe, and we had no choice but to abort the mission. But during the evacuation, Astronaut Mark Watney was killed. I'm entering this log for the record. This is Mark Watney. And I'm still alive. Obviously. I have no way to contact NASA or my crewmates. But even if I could, it would take four years for another manned mission to reach me. And I'm in a hab designed to last 31 days. So, in the face of overwhelming odds, I'm left with only one option. I'm gonna have to science the shit out of this. Okay, let's do the math. I gotta figure out how to grow four years worth of food here, on a planet where nothing grows. But if I can't figure out a way to make contact with NASA, none of this matters anyway. Houston, be advised. We've got a video message. It's directed to the whole crew. Play it. Mind cut. <laughs> Mark Watney's still alive. Woo! In your face, Neil Armstrong. We left him behind. Let's go get our boy. This is something NASA rejected. So we're talking mutiny. And if we mess up the supply rendezvous, we die. If we mess up the Earth gravity assist, we die. It's space. It doesn't cooperate. I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you. And you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Is it possible that he's still alive? All right. One of the amazing things about that trailer is that it's specifically cut not to tell you everything. Absolutely. It's yeah. actually specifically cut to put it completely out of sequence. It's all out of yeah. sequence. <laughs> it's, it's mixed up. You don't actually know what happens. It's great. Did it's, he yeah. have a family in the trailer or did no. they make that shot up? They no, just, just, made just that in the trailer. Up. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't recall that in the film. That yeah. was that was actually from someone else. Yeah, that was someone yeah. else's family. Yeah. Oh, sorry, because he's got all their recordings and, and he does yeah. and everything else. So. No, that, that wasn't even the same scene. No, no, that's what they Nick, cut that. Nick's oh, right. Sorry, yeah, that's yeah. Nick's right, and Nick's yeah. here. Nick's here. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we yeah. should stress. Dave had to leave. All yeah, right, I took now, his place. Now this was <laughs> this was uh, completely unexpected. We've actually gone very long today, as we knew we would with this many people. Dave is actually at uh, Comic Conversations this afternoon. He's selling his book, so he had to go because we're running a little bit late so, so he could get to his table which he's actually paid for so so um so he's gone to do that and in your and so we don't have five as we thought we did instead nicholas mcveigh has replaced dave hello so, what's so up, in today's episode the part of dave longo will be played by nicholas yeah. mcveigh give, give us your dave impression Star Wars. Hey! Yeah. Yeah. 
So, Nicholas, you went to see The Martian. You actually saw it before I did. You saw yeah, it I actually saw it like a couple hours before you. <laughs> um, <laughs> a few hours before me. Yeah. We've all seen the film at this point, and mm-hmm. Dave has actually asked me to express his opinion because I know his opinion of the film. Dave and I are very, very evenly matched on this one. We know very much. But so. aren't I playing Dave, though? You're not playing Dave. <laughs> You're playing yourself, sir. All right, we're going to start with our guest. Uh, you've been on the show before, so we'll start with Luke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll preface by saying I am a massive, massive fan of Andy Weir's book. Okay, good. Uh, I thought the book was amazing. That's if a good way to start because I don't yeah. think anybody else here has read it. If you have haven't we? read it, you absolutely should. It is a great kind of funny, survivalist, science-heavy sci-fi book that isn't about aliens. Right. Uh, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was very solid. But I think ultimately it's quite forgettable. Interesting. All right, so that's your first thoughts. Uh, Nicholas. Um, actually, I think building on that, I actually think this was a great, like, it was very realistic, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Like, like people made such a big deal. Oops. People made such a big deal about how realistic Interstellar was, but then it got all M. Night Shyamalan at the end. Um, <laughs> so well said. But, but, but then, like, this one actually, like, this could happen in, like, 10 years or something. Interestingly enough... And, to match you and to talk about your point, apparently the science is all very real. That yeah. was, I think, the genius of the book. Yeah. Uh, Andy Weir was in close contact with NASA scientists. Except for the storm. Apparently no storms of that magnitude really? can form on Mars, and he knew that going into the book, but he needed it as yeah, a device. Yeah, he needed a device. And yeah. also something about the soil of Mars, he would never have been able to grow the vegetables, but he needed the yeah. plot device. Mm-hmm. So aside from those two, and he knew that they were inaccuracies but yeah. he needed them as plot devices for a story which is fine. makes sense yeah but other than that the science is really solid yep. so yeah continue but yeah i really enjoyed it though yeah yeah okay. uh, i thought the yeah i thought the, it, it looked amazing and i really i it's basically cast away in space yeah very good yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Robin yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> jamie um i feel like i'm still sort of chewing on the martian I really well, take him out of your mouth. You don't know where he's been. <laughs> Mars. It's <laughs> it was a visual spectacle and a really really nice one. It was a very well put together film. Story wise, I found it a little bit predictable in places, and I think whip smart dialogue. But but there was something about it that just put me off a little bit in terms of the actual plot. Um, that said. Like I said, really well made film. I did enjoy going and watching this movie. It was it was definitely a great two and a half hours for me to just enjoy the spectacle of it. Not knowing the plot, what did you guys think about the levels of tension in the movie? I'll get to that in mind. What I was yeah, about to well, say. Yeah. it was very tense. Yeah, it was yeah, very tense. I'll connect that back to something else later. Like, how much are we able to like talk about this film? We can't spoil, but we can talk about the. Well, film. just like there's this one part where he gets stabbed by. I that's pretty what, early on. In the yeah, film. that's pretty yeah. early on in the film. That was really tense. Yeah, actually, that that, that was that really sequence, well directed. That oh sequence my was brilliant. Yeah, my opinions of this film is thank God. Is all I'm really say. I, I will agree with you. It's the best movie Ridley Scott has made in ten years. I've been Absolutely. I've been very very worried yeah. about Ridley Scott for a while because this is a guy who I adore and who I worship as a filmmaker. And Dave and I are on exactly the same page on this. So just everything I say right here, take this into account with Dave as well where we just keep going to say, we'll always pay the money to go see Ridley Scott films and you keep going, please, please, please. Ridley Scott's name came up in the end credits of this, of credits as directed by Ridley Scott. And I looked at Jamie six and, I went, times. and I went, there he is! <laughs> you know, I went, He's back! 
I adored this film. I thought this was a really great survival story. I thought it was really beautifully shot. 3D was really subtle. Just this beautiful length of depth that that as a real filmmaker uses. They don't try and throw things at you, and so yeah. it's just it's just there for added value to each shot. The Mars landscapes are amazing. Matt Damon has never been better as Matt uh, Damon. It wasn't even just Matt Damon. Matt Damon was amazing, and and that's that's virtually undisputable. Mm. But the entire cast, yeah, everybody was marvelous. Yeah. Um, great seeing Kristen, everyone in this. Great seeing Kristen Wiig in a dramatic role. I loved Donald Glover showing us that he had a bit of range. Yes, and I love the. And in fact, one of my favorite characters in the film. Uh, I, I would love the fact that we introduced Jeff Daniels, and our immediate reaction is he's going to be the evil suit who basically goes against him. But turns out not to be. He's well, just. He's just. He's just doing his job. He's just doing yeah. his job, and he's concerned. He you is. Know? He and is. And he does. And he does go along with them to a degree, but he has to. He's got to count. The dollars, you know, he's got to count the time, the dollars, the safety value. Michael Pena continues to be mm. delightful. I don't think I've seen him in a movie and not enjoyed his no, performance. Loved him, yeah. I really want there to be a Michael Pena cinematic universe where all of his <laughs> characters are connected. <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only person in the cast who I think was kind of a non-event, and it wasn't that she was bad, she was just kind of a non-event, was the Lesser Mara. You know, she was there. Yeah. She was present. At least but, they know. got to take her on this trip. Yeah, well, they got to take her. She, yeah. at, least, she at least got to go with them instead of the Fantastic Four. At least Four. she wasn't <laughs> invisible in this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, or was she? I don't know. <laughs> it was nice to see the German actor on the ship who was actually from Prometheus. It was nice to see him in a role that actually He had, was too. Yeah, nice to see him yeah. with, right. some, with a role with some more meat to it because uh, I thought he was wasted in Prometheus. Prometheus, come, it continues to be one of those films that we continually refer back to because it marks a very dark day. Can I pick up here? Because I Yeah, just, you were going to say... By, so I just saw Prometheus and it was the first time I had seen it. And I, I didn't... I, I didn't like it. I... No, I didn't <laughs> like it. Like, it. It was trying to be three different films. It was trying to be a thriller. It was trying to be a horror. And it was trying to be a science fiction epic philosophical movie and none of those worked because they were all being jammed up against each other um and I would sadly, say Alien was all three of those things. Well, Alien was all three and of those things. And it made things. it work because it had Dan O'Bannon writing it. That's right. So. But uh, but Prometheus didn't work that way. Because yeah, that had like Damon Lindelof writing <laughs> <laughs> And one of, the big things, one of the big things that was lacking from Prometheus was tension. Uh, there was, you know, up front we knew that the, the android was a bad guy. From the first, from the first time he's on screen, we get we get that. Well, sense. he's doing creepy things to their sleeping bodies. That's right. You know, was um, anyone ever in any doubt about um, Charlize Theron being related to? No. Yeah. And I also knew he was on the ship too. Yeah. 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 And more to the point, like Charlize... when when they're going to roll him out? Come on, roll him out anytime God. now. Charlize Theron's role in that movie was the. I don't like Charlize Theron in in the first place, but that was the weakest role I have ever seen her have. All she was there to do was be negative. And then die for being negative, <laughs> and do super intense push-ups in in yeah. in pathos, pathosistic way. But it was just ah, oh, it felt like it had so much promise. Like there were so many things that almost worked. The aliens, you know, like the alien who appears pre-credits, yeah, in Prometheus, you know, has this evil smile on his face and looks. Negative, and then when they bring one back to life, what a surprise! It goes and kills everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was just. I love that as well, though. I love the fact they wake it up and his first reaction is rip the head off someone. Yeah, <laughs> just oh, look, Prometheus really disappointed me. Not I, because it was bad, but because I 
I almost liked so much of it. The, biggest... par- the part of, that I am finding the hardest, well, come right no, back no, to yeah. you, Luke. The part that I'm finding really, really hard to deal with right now is you're saying that it disappointed you. After all this time, you really expected <laughs> anything. <laughs> You've well, heard what we've all said about it. Yeah, but look, I mean, I, I try to make a judgment based on my viewing, not on everyone else's. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest problem I had with Prometheus, and this will actually tie back quite nicely into what I thought about The Martian, is that it was driven by scientists who were stupid. Oh, yeah. I love the fact oh. that we see the alien snake thing for the first time, and what's he doing? He goes, and goes, ooh, aren't you cute? But that thing, like, everything bad that happens in the movie is because they're bad at science. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And The Martian is the complete opposite. It yes. is. And The Martian has the tension that was really lacking from Prometheus. Mm. Um, you know, every scene, much as I said some of it was predictable, you still felt that pressure that mm. was on him. You still felt, you know, the... The desperation in a situation the whole way through. I do think, just we'll tie off Prometheus and come back to The Martian full time, but I do think with Prometheus it is a film that anybody who, anybody who's, you know, A, a, a geek or B, interested in film at all, really does need to see. It is a film which is almost painfully beautiful. I mean, it is yeah. just so gorgeously shot. We were and saying before, like, best use of 3D I've ever seen in Best use of movie. 3D ever, hands down. Oh, I didn't see in 3D. That's <laughs> end of story. I've got it on 3D. You're going to watch it in 3D. Yeah. It is It is just hands down. Uh-huh, you have to watch Prometheus again. <laughs> hands down, gorgeous <laughs> filmmaking. Well done, well structured. On the most part, on the most part, performances are fairly solid, you know, and so forth. But it's a film that, as I explained to Luke, we all walked out of the screening all incredibly jazzed for this. This was his, A, his return, Ridley Scott, that is, his return to science fiction after 20 years. It was, B, the prequel to Alien. And we were all like, Ridley Scott is coming back to Alien, you know. And then we walked out of the cinema and we all looked at each other and just went, give us a moment. <laughs> just, just give us a moment. And, we're, and we were all like, I don't know if we can even talk about this at this point. None of us knew what to think. And it took like three viewings until we could actually review the film and actually formulate a thought about what... It was so hard. And you sit there going, I don't know whether I hated it or I liked it. I don't know what was wrong. I couldn't pinpoint what was wrong with it. It's the kind of movie where it's so easy to criticize it and go after the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like when you start breaking it down and looking at what is wrong with Prometheus, you start to actually realize that... It comes from the head down. There's mm-hmm. a, it is from conception a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And it just it doesn't work all the way through it. Ridley Scott made a beautiful looking film that makes no coherence sense at all. Absolutely. But- all right. That being said, back to The Martian. Here's a film that makes complete sense. Here's a film that has a good solid bit. And it's very and original. It's, yeah. it's, well, it, that's because of the book. But like, yeah, you know, I mean, the story, well, it's ori- original. I haven't seen that story before. It's, it's, yeah. it, it's a very old story told in a very yeah. new environment. Yeah. So we're just looking at Castaway or Robinson Crusoe or whatever you want to call it. What is really refreshing is. Every film up until this point about this kind of thing has always been like, well, and then just around the corner, there turns out to be something else there, mm. you know? Or, but no, he uh, is alone. What I loved about no, it, I, felt like, that was, I felt that was actually quite true here. Yeah. That, no, yeah. that there wasn't something else in the sense of an external force. There was just, you knew that something was going to go wrong when he grew a garden. You knew that yeah. something was going to go wrong when he got on the ship. You knew that something was going to go wrong. But blah, blah, Jamie, blah, blah. you're not going to have any dramatic tension if things don't of go wrong. Of course you're not. But, <laughs> but, I, but that, that made it... I tell you what, I'm going to make a film about a guy came... surviving who actually builds a successful crop and reinforces his thing. <laughs> and becomes a farmer and, and stays his life. And colonates it and nothing ever really ever goes no, wrong. No, no, no. But Jamie, I thought that was very sudden goes, Actually, I'm staying. <laughs> Jamie, I thought that was very sudden though when he, like it did go wrong. Yeah. Like, like we were expecting it. 
but then it just came out of nowhere when yeah. his crops just died. Mm-hmm. It just um, came out of nowhere. Two things I loved about the stuff constantly going wrong. It's a that was nice a spoiler, I guess, but we can get this. Um, <laughs> a nice subversion of the castaway story because he's not using primitive tech. Like he's not trying to. Well, okay, no, he's, he's trying to build the fire, shit out of it. But he is. It's like bleeding edge kind of technology to grow crops it's and like survive. The, the idea he is, I need this much water. What do I have to do? Yeah, and you know? I love that he was a competent scientist. Yeah. Like, he solved problems. It Absolutely. Was just, it was yeah. great to see a smart <laughs> character who solved problems intelligently and used his brain to stay alive. Correct. I've got to say, apart from the visuals, the thing that really sold me on the whole movie was the whip-smart dialogue. Mm. It was yes. just so clever. Especially, I love the moment... Mm where uh, NASA finally contacts him and it's being broadcast worldwide and, <laughs> and he swears uh, in, in conversation. It's text typing conversation. And uh, they say to him, oh, you've got to watch out. You're on, uh, you know, you're being broadcast worldwide. And then he goes, oh, really? And starts and typing. And we never and we know never what, what he says. <laughs> but the and next, then there's a conversation. The next shot is, a, is someone talking on the phone and apologizing to the president. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's very clever. And I'll, you're right, the, the whip-smart science as well. Mm-hmm. The idea that he digs up the rover. Yeah. And then they have to work out how to communicate, you know, and, and he has to work out, he says, an alphabet is too long, you know, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't work that out. He needs to well, continually it's, it's play with the science. Not even too long because it will take too long. It's too long because the degrees of arc on the circular camera are too narrow for him to Correct. read what they're looking at. Exactly, so he needed to simplify. And I love the fact the scientist on Earth goes, I think I know what he's getting yeah. at here, you know? And it's like there's, there's, there's really clever moments like that, you know, all the way through the film. And I like the fact that he, when he's rationing his food and stuff like that and he's counting his... But there's actually, there's a great moment in this film. We've already talked about the fact that things are going wrong. Where there's a great moment where there's a storm whipping outside. There's a lot of noise. You can see there's a lot of paranoia in him. And he's counting his potatoes and kind of looking back over his shoulder constantly like... Ignore what's going on there. Ignore what's yeah, going on there. Yeah. Ignore it. Just keep just keep focused here. You know, it's look. It's a sensational film. And, and whenever and the 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 uh, technique of using him delivering video diaries, which you see in the trailer, yeah. um, gives him the opportunity to give these beautiful speeches and and moments of dialogue that are fantastic. But whenever it starts to go where you go, okay, we're we're just reaching the point where it's probably going on too long. We cut to Earth and we got other people talking. So it's like we they balance is perfect. They do. And th- those video diaries yeah. really add some verisimilitude to the whole thing as mm. well. It's and I like how much he quips as well. Like, yeah. uh, you know, mm. like he just like says he's like a pirate because yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I forgot what, what the reasoning was yeah. because it wasn't owned by anyone. It was about international waters. International waters, yeah. Look, yeah, I can't argue with anything about the dialogue. It was so entertaining. Yeah. I think, I think the amazing. predictability of it that you're talking about, Jamie... I don't think bothered me at all because I just saw them as plot devices to move him forward. Oh, look, absolutely. And and I think, look, it, it's it's a bit of a personal thing as well. I I don't find the whole man versus nature uh, idea in, in film compelling. In fact, I think I think maybe I'm a little bit scared of it because I think if I, that happened to me, I would die on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it just, yeah, I, I mean, it just, I could see where things were going to go wrong and that... It would have been nice to be a bit more surprised. But I did really enjoy the film and that didn't take away from it. Fair enough. And Luke? I, yeah, I thought it was really, really great. I mean, oh, sorry, I've upgraded a bit. It was solid. <laughs> You've upgraded, you upgraded <laughs> it a was, lot. No, it, was, it was good to great. It's somewhere in that range. I, I really enjoyed it, but I still had some issues with it. Like I felt like there were really weird time jumps. Um, part of what made the book 
genius is the fact that everything you see Watney doing is delivered by him in a log. Right. And because it's kind of that journal structure, you don't know till the end if he survived or not. And actually seeing Watney do things outside of that in the movie, I think, removes some of that tension. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I can see that as... But you could still get away with that, though, because you're seeing what's happening in real time. We don't know what the last log True. is. We don't know what the last you log don't. is. So, and because we're actually experiencing it with him, what the people back on Earth will get is his logs. But what we get is the actual yep. adventure. So, yeah, that works. That works. Yeah. Nicholas, take well, us home. I thought it was really good. I, I don't know what else to say. I would like... <laughs> <laughs> What what is your experience? Yeah. Actually, I'm very curious now. We backtrack this a little bit. What are your experiences with Ridley Scott so far? You've seen Blade Runner. You've seen Alien. I've seen Blade Runner. I haven't seen Alien. You haven't seen Alien. I haven't seen okay. Prometheus. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta correct um, that, don't I? Yes, yeah. I've only seen this movie. I think and and uh, Blade Runner. That's about it. Interesting. All right, we we gotta fill in your. Oh, oh wait, and Gladiator. Oh, That's and right. Kingdom yeah. of Heaven. And Kingdom of Heaven. You yes. saw, I don't yes. know which version of Kingdom of Heaven you saw though, because you didn't seem very overwhelmed with it. So I, have I, a funny thought, I, thought, I think that's my issue. Like I thought it was terrible. Actually, sorry to interrupt, but like comparing to the Ridley Scott movies that I think are his best movies, his iconic movies, there were no real scenes in The Martian that are going to linger with me. There's nothing that's going to stick with me like there is in Alien or in Kingdom of Heaven or in Gladiator. Yeah, I can feel a bit of that. I can, Yeah, I can feel a bit of that. And one of the reasons is I don't think... And this is going to be hard. This is where Dave and I may actually differ. So I, don't, I can't speak for Dave, but I don't know if the Ridley Scott that we... Adored. I don't know. If, I don't know if the Ridley Scott that made Alien and Blade Runner actually exists anymore. And that's a, that's not to say that he's become a bad filmmaker. He's become a different filmmaker. All filmmakers grow, age, have families. Their sensibilities change. Mm-hmm. And it's like Spielberg. Spielberg does not make films today. He could never make Jaws today. No. It would, just wouldn't happen. He, the closest he comes to Jaws today is Jurassic Park, which is a great film, but it's no Jaws. You know, Jaws is stands alone as what it is, and and that part of that is because he has kids and he got married and he's you know he's he's all very family man. He's not going to be that visceral anymore. The only director I think who's ever managed to maintain uh, the same level of of intensity is probably Martin Scorsese. He's probably the only director I can think of off the top of my head who has managed to make a film today that would be something that he would have made in his heyday. You know, it's like, and and I think that's a very rare thing. And do, you, I think, do you think Tarantino's softened? Yeah. Absolutely. No, Tar- Tarantino oh, is yeah, Tarantino. young. Though. Tarantino is nowhere near. I mean, we've got, we're talking six films. He, Nothing, he's no closer to. He's on eight or nine now, I think. Let's name them off. We've got uh, Reservoir Dogs, Reservoir Dogs Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Fiction Kill Jackie Bill Brown, 1 and 2, Jackie Jack Brown, Brown, Kill Bill 1, Kill Bill 2, two. Django, Inglorious Bastards. And now this one. Oh, oh, no, no. Yeah, Django, Inglorious Bastards. Now this one. Yeah. Wait, is, oh, that, is eight. that eight? Eight. Thank you very much. <laughs> 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 there we go. Eight, eight movies and long. That was all time. Oh, wait. <laughs> Death Proof. Death Proof. Oh, Nine. He, he do you ruined count- it. He ruined it. Do you want to count the uh, the five minutes of Sin City that he did? Nope. <laughs> Not a film. <laughs> that is a, that is a, a scene. That is like um, drama workshop. <laughs> no, I think I think Tarantino was definitely changed. I mean, his I still love Inglorious Bastards. I think it's one of his best movies. But if you compare it to Reservoir Dogs, that edge is gone. Uh, yeah, he's he's a, evolved, and I think he's evolved, and I don't know if it's his edge is gone. And some people are probably out there right now screaming, going, "What about true romance? And what about this?" He didn't direct any of these films. People, settle down. <laughs> <laughs> um, he wrote them. He didn't direct them. Um, whether or not his edge is gone, or whether or not he is 
heading into different directions. It's not that his films are less edgy. They're still pretty rough okay. around the edges. True. I mean, think about the finale, The Jangle Unchained. It's pretty rough. Um, but it's, and the, the whole hanging him upside yeah. down and the torture. And I mean, it's all very rough. He's just heading into different story directions. It's very, and, and bigger budgets. True. Which is allowing yeah. him to expand out. Reservoir Dogs would not have been Reservoir Dogs if he'd had the budget he can work with today. No. He no. was restricted to one room because he really had He no only money. had the money for one. Yeah, yeah. He had the money for one room. That was it. You know? was, um, was Man with the Iron Fists him or was that a Tarantino Presents? That's that a was pre- a Presents. presents. Mm. That's a Presents. Um, I, think, I think the jury is still out on Tarantino. His next couple of films are going to be the testing because uh, Django Unchained was the last film of the films that he had written at that time. Ah. So basically his next film, uh, The Hateful Eight, is like the first new New thing. New work, yeah. So all of all the films that he's made up until now have all been scripts that he had made, had written and stockpiled and what have you all over that time. Django Unchained is the last one. So now we're in new territory. So this is supposed to be, this. Uh, 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 Hateful Eight is the first film that he's ever going to have made that's actually scored. It doesn't have a mixed soundtrack. Mm, it actually has a score by Eno Morricone. He's actually brought him out of retirement for it. It's it's not an homage film in the sense that it's you know just cobbled together from all of the other homages of everything else. It is kind of an original story for him. So it's really going to be an interesting turning point for his career. And this is what this is what I've been waiting for because mm-hmm. I've always said with Tarantino that I love Tarantino, but I felt that he's he was his one trick. Pony was becoming very one-tricky. Treading know? the same ground over he, and over. And yeah. it just the, the homages and this and you go, and he does it really well and it's really slick and everything else, but it's they're all tricks we've seen. I want to see him do something new. And it is his first Western that's actually a Western. Yeah. It's not just an, an yeah. homage thing. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really curious to see Hateful Eight and I'm really curious to see what he does now. This is a big turning point. The only other, and, and to put it into perspective, the only other original work that he he wrote specifically um, past all of those original screenplays is Death Proof. And I didn't like Death Proof. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. But only like in it. the context that it was meant to be a Grindhouse movie. Yeah, but the thing is, I saw Grindhouse as Grindhouse in mm-hmm. uh, Man's Chinese Theatre. So I saw it as it was originally meant to be presented with the fake trailers and mm-hmm. the two films, yeah. the missing reels, the whole bit. And... For the brief of making a Grindhouse film, I think uh, Rodriguez solved the brief much better than he did. And when I look at it, I go, I can watch Planet Terror over and over and over again, and it's hysterical, and you just, you've just nailed it. I actually find Death Proof a bit of a gruel. You know, it's, it's so one note that mm. you sit there and you go, okay, can we just move on? Can we get on with it? Can we get on with it? And especially because it follows planet terror that you kind of go what the hell <laughs> you know? I, I have only seen it once and I am not in any rush to watch it again yeah exactly and that's big, and every other Tarantino film you can watch over and over and over again because you always get more and more out of it there's nothing else to milk out of Death Proof it is so one shot whereas I can watch planet terror and there's so <laughs> much in planet terror that you kind of go oh I didn't notice that before. oh I didn't notice that before <laughs> you know? um, so, in the nicest way possible nerds yeah uh, we are at 2 hours 17 Actually, we're at two hours 16, but that's all right. <laughs> one minute, one minute. One minute makes all the difference. Is there anybody, anything else we want to add to Ridley Scott? Oh, yeah, we were go, talking about Ridley Scott. Go <laughs> see The Martian and see it in 3D because the 3D is really nice. It's subtle it's and really it's very subtle. effective. I Apparently recommend this film good, yeah. highly. Yes. I, I think this is a good return to form for Ridley Scott. I don't think 
Don't go expecting Blade Runner. You're not going to get that, but it is a really good return to form. Sharp script by Drew Goddard. Highly recommend. I recommend it to anybody, in fact. Uh, you well, there is that part where Mars is inhabited by replicants. Well, there is that, and then there's the yeah. part where the aliens come out and try and get him, but, you know, whatever. This is, this is actually a prequel to uh, Blade Runner, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and Interstellar as well, because uh, uh, Matt Damon's in Interstellar, go, right? Yeah. It's all connected. And Matt Damon's not in Interstellar. Yeah, he is. And of course, it's part of Where the... Where is he in Interstellar? He's that other astronaut that was like stranded on another oh, planet. Oh, crap, yeah. he was too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've so forgotten Interstellar. He's that other <laughs> astronaut who was stranded. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, it's all part of the Michael Pena cinematic universe as well. So Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is after... Yeah, after after Ant-Man. Man. Yeah. yeah, the MPCU. <laughs> <laughs> all right, nobody has any more to add to this. Nicholas, nope. you weren't here at the beginning of the show. Very quickly, anything else you want to say you watched or said or read or... Experience this week? Um, I read Alias. You read it? Oh, you read yes. Alias. Yeah, he's read yes. Alias and you haven't. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm going to go home and read. <laughs> and it was amazing. I can't wait till, till the show. Yeah. Absolutely. Jessica Jones, and yeah. What do you want to plug? Oh, yeah. My channel, NLM Productions on YouTube. Just search it up. Fantastic. Yeah. Jamie, you had something to plug. Yeah, look, uh, I am about to bug out to Comic Conversation. Hopefully, I'll see some fans there. But uh, apart from that, I wanted to plug our next Words in Bubbles meeting at Good Games Hurstville. If you're in Sydney, uh, come to the store. We're doing a retrospective on the work of uh, Loeb and Sale. So that's Batman The Long Halloween. That's uh, Hulk Grey, Daredevil Yellow, Spider-Man, Spider-Man Blue. And the very, yes. very new Captain America and the new White. Captain America White. Um, they've got tons of other amazing character studies over the years. Uh, they're just a... a Wonderful duo who really know how to get to the heart of what these characters are about. So uh, come and have a chat with us about it. Um, I didn't even realize Captain America White was from them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have to read this now. Yeah, yeah. it's two issues in. Yeah. And Je- oh, man, Tim Sale's art is just the best. It's so It's fantastic. Good. I've said it on Behind the Panels, Spider-Man Blue still moved me almost to tears. It, to Luke me, and I it were is both, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, is the definitive fantastic. Spider-Man comic. Yeah. Luke and I were both saying similar things. It is an, an amazing book. Um, yeah. And I think... For me personally, Batman: The Long Halloween is probably the best Batman story ever told. It's uh, you've been trying to get me to read that for a long. I haven't though. read though yet. I thought that was no. You're trying to get um, me to read Hush. Yeah, Hush that's right. And you guys still didn't read 150 episodes. You still didn't <laughs> yeah. read it. And you're going to be bitter about it yeah. for 150 episodes of this show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Luke, is there anything you want to push? Um, I will just shout out to people since I haven't been on before. Go check out the preview of my comic. It's called The Bad Guys. It's at thebadguyscomic.com. Mm-hmm. Is that all? It's a good book. Um, yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, it is a good book. I've read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and you should follow me on Twitter. When's more LG coming? Lancaster. Um, soon. So soon, soon is not an answer, sir. <laughs> uh, if you want the first issue, I can give you the first issue to read. Okay, cool. yeah, come to Comic <laughs> nice. Conversation, there'll be copies of it. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes, there will be. Oh, okay. Free excellent. copies. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, I have nothing specific to push. I've already pushed our, our giveaway. Um, we still have two pop vinyls here that these people did not claim. Yeah. So they were their names were given out on the Facebook page and on the show. They have not claimed them, so they're going to go back into the pool. Um, or we could use them to decorate the studio. Or we could use them to decorate the studio. We've got a little pop vinyl shelf now over here, so we can actually put them on there. The studio's looking very nice. Uh, we do have that competition that is running for uh, the DC television universe, so yes. definitely check out that. And we have more giveaways coming because I've been in talks with Roadshow, but I'll talk more about that later. <laughs> and, and and everybody go out and play X-Wing miniatures game. Yes, it's, very it's good. amazing. And also F- the Star Wars game, card yeah. game, which is great. Yeah, yeah well, you need to get me into yeah, We'll teach you that one. Yeah, you need to get me into that one. All right. With all that being said, I think we're going to get out of here. So if you agree or disagree with every, anything or everything we have said on this show, send your feedback to feedback at geekactually.com or you can talk to us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash geekactually. Uh, I 
don't think we've really got anything else. Bloodgeekactually.com is the home of everything. So you just go there if you want to uh, hassle us or, or send your feedback to anything. And that's where competitions are going to be hosted as well. If there's nothing else to say, I'm going to say thank you, everyone, for joining us. And thank you, Dave, even though you've already left. Um, and we, Dave's should... force ghost is in the room. <laughs> and Dave's got... not here. Yeah. Looks like Dave, Hayden Dave's not here. Everybody, geek on. We'll talk to you next week. Oh, what's the movie next week? Do we know? No, we don't. All right, good. It'll be a, <laughs> it'll be a surprise. Geek on, everybody. We'll see you next week.